0: Welcome one and all to episode 71 of the "Coming Villainy Podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and my co-pilot seat, it's Noah DeGeorge. Hey, what's going on? How's hey, it going? Hey, we're here. You sound you sound glum. You sound down in the dumps, Noah. We're, well, we're live on air. I don't know if you got the memo.
1: Here's the thing. I I feel like I have enough glumness to be glum about today. Oh no, what happened? Well, you know what we're talking about today, don't you?
0: Yes, I just looked at the show notes. Yes, just to confirm, yes, we okay. are we are talking about Rogue One, a Star Wars story, uh, uh, to continue celebrating Septandor, which is I believe how you pronounce it, yeah, <laughs> this I ridiculous know. thing that we <laughs> uh, that we're keeping this trend going of trying our best to, to squeeze in uh, the hey, show into the month. I think I it's think as it close as it could possibly get. So it's for... <laughs> yeah,
1: Here, listen, here's why I'm glum. We all know my feelings about Rogue One and that is I'm coming around to it. I think it ages really well and we'll mm-hmm. talk about it. But this is the one day that I have to endure talking about Saw importance (laughs) in a singular story. And I am not happy about
0: it. Not happy. Hey, we're, we're not just talking about Sagra. we are talking about the entire film, uh, which of course, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story is the name of the movie in which we are discussing today. It was released December 16th, 2016. Uh, it was the second film made in the Disney era, uh, just after The Force Awakens. Um, you and I obviously saw this film in theaters, have seen it many, many times at home uh, since then, um, but I also got to see this movie recently in theaters. Not just last year for Disney Plus Day, but also re-released into theaters. Uh, did you get a chance to see this during its uh, kind of a reprised IMAX theatrical run leading into Andor? Or did you uh, uh, watch it from n- the comfort of your couch?
1: I, I I was a you know couch potato, you know bowl of popcorn kind of kid uh, with my with my most recent rewatch of Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Again, not you know it's now been more than a few times that I've seen it. And like I said, I do think it ages really well. So I was glad that you know, leading up to Andor, uh, again, the month of Septandor, uh, we're going to be diving into you know our thoughts and feelings on Rogue One because we've we've talked about it before, you know, mm-hmm. um, but not not as in depth as as uh, as we are going to here today.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like the logical place to start, um, since this is a, a, you know, a pretty new Star Wars movie, uh, certainly newer than the the last theatrical film that we discussed, which was um, Attack of the Clones. Uh, you and I both had an opportunity to see this in theaters, and you know, uh, this was one of those movies that was was special because it was like I get to see this in the theater. Not only that, but I get to look forward to it coming out into the theater. You and I are are of that generation to where like. I don't remember seeing Attack of the Clones in theaters. I, I I remember the lead up to Revenge of the Sith, and I remember going to see the movie and my like my sister's reaction to it and everything. And we'll definitely talk about Revenge of the Sith when uh, that anniversary comes around. But this, along with The Force Awakens, was like Star Wars is back. I I saw it in theaters, um, and it you know certainly had a really big pop um, when it came out. This is by far and away the least controversial Star Wars movies, at least as the final product is concerned, the behind the scenes is kind of a different story, which we'll, we'll briefly touch on. Um, but this is the one that I feel like if I was in a crowded bar at Star Wars Celebration and I was like, I love Rogue One, I wouldn't get a bunch of looks of like, huh? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, so- the SpongeBob, like the Krusty Krab. Everybody <laughs> like puts down their food and stops talking. Exactly, yeah. So I want to kind of walk me through what your initial viewing was like. Did you go with family? Did you go with friends? friends? Was it a matinee? Was it opening night? What was that like?
1: So I had a a friend in high school, uh, one specific friend who is, who is big into new releases and we went and saw a lot of movies together and it didn't, you know, of course we'll go, you know, we would go see the Marvel movies together and, uh, and comic book movies and stuff like that, or kind of the video game esque movies. Uh, but we also saw, I remember specifically, we saw the jungle book movie together, um, because it was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Let's go see it. So we saw all kinds of movies together. And I remember um, I remember, I saw the movie with him. And then I also saw it with my parents. Um, the, I think it was in the same week. Um, but I do remember that this guy that I went with was... He's uh, pretty over-the-top, kind of exaggerated emotions uh, about things. And I think I might have told you about him before. Um, but after we saw... Um, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Uh, he sat me down and was like, "Listen, here's how I would have done the movie." And then he talked for an hour and forty five minutes. I'm not even
0: joking. Like, let's get him that, on the podcast. Good <laughs> fill some air he's, time. <laughs> he's
1: that kind of guy. He was like, "Here's what I would have done," and just like yeah. explained his own. So leaving Rogue One, like I, I had a like my overall feeling was not, not underwhelmed because I didn't have like high expectations. I didn't really know how I was supposed to feel. And he felt very strongly that he was not happy. And mm-hmm. so I, I left in a very confused state and I didn't really know how I felt about it. And upon a second viewing, I kind of settled into this feeling of, I get it, but I don't think that I got it. And, and it was a weird place. And then I didn't see it again for a long time. Yeah. So that was my initial viewing. Not great. Not happy about it. Not proud of it. Not going to stand by any of those feelings because again, it's, I- I've come around to it more. Um, but especially when I did see it, I was in a place of, I hadn't, I hadn't explored all of clone wars I hadn't explored any of rebels the first time that I saw any of rebels was when you and I watched it together right. um so a lot of this auxiliary material that could have you know compounded my interest in these things uh just wasn't there I wasn't at that point at as a Star Wars fan and I'm not going to say that I suffered for it because I don't think everybody needs that kind of momentum in their in their fandom yeah. but um I, uh, you know, looking back on it and loving those things like I do now, I can say, man, I wish, you know, but again, not to say that anybody suffers for not having that, that knowledge
0: beforehand. So
1: yeah, it, it was a, it was a weird, weird kind of experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember going to see it, and I saw it with uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, and I believe my my mom, who uh, I also went and saw The Force Awakens with. Uh, and uh, you know, I was I was anticipating the movie. I also worked at the movie theater at that time, um, and this was one of obviously the bigger movies that came out. I didn't work at the theater for super long because uh, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, this was the probably the biggest movie. I remember this came out, and Doctor Strange. Just a few uh, month or so early, I think that was like a November movie, and then uh, Trolls, surprisingly enough, was like super, super big, huge Um, movie, huge movie, yeah, really popular. Uh, But this was one that I was working, and I, I think I got off like right at. Six forty-five or six thirty, or you know, there was a eight o'clock showing, and I got off at seven something. It was, it was. I remember it was very soon to when the movie came out, uh, like the, or to when the movie actually, you know, um, would be sh- shown in theaters. Uh, and I remember being very weary of uh, spoilers and stuff like that because they had some earlier showings. I wasn't seeing the very first showing of the day, um, and at that time, I was still very like okay, I want to get there 45 minutes early so I get a good seat. And, you know, I was just oh, wait, a little bit, because it's not inter- assigned seats. Yeah, what's up?
1: Can I interrupt you for a second? Sure. Flashback, uh, you and I went to go see Endgame at that theater together. Mm-hmm. And to give everyone a picture, when we left the showing, spoilers, okay, somebody yeah. that that was in our theater shouted, Iron Man dies. Yeah. And then he got jumped <laughs> so <laughs> you're right to be wary of spoilers yeah. at the specific theater.
0: Yeah, I was just concerned cuz I didn't want some, you know, douchebag coming up and ordering popcorn and be like, "Uh, just getting a refill. Just got out of Rogue One. Oh man, I can't believe all the characters died. That so sucks." You know, I'm just going to be like, <laughs> "Oh no." So, you, thankfully you I didn't what? get spoiled at I, all. That's, but that's if if I was
1: like seeing a movie, I would and I was stupid. I would assume that the people working at the theater
0: have seen every movie. Gotcha. So that's
1: like I could see that happening. Very very easily,
0: <laughs> yeah. I was very concerned about that. So, and I also remember at the time, and this is the only time that I have done that. Uh, uh, this first time I had done it, and it was the only time that I've ever done it. I would consider doing it again. But they had this system, and I didn't know it until I worked at the movie theater. To where, if there was somebody who was not deaf but was hard of hearing, they could bring headphones from home, and you could like hook it up to like a little receiver and watch the movie on headphones. Uh, And I had just recently acquired these very headphones that I'm wearing right now. And they were like nicer kind of studio quality headphones. And I was like, I, you know, the theater that I was, uh, the theater that I went and saw this movie at wasn't like a super, super nice theater. And I've had many experiences there. I I don't live there anymore. But like, I remember seeing many movies there where people were super rowdy and annoying. It was just kind of like in a part of town. And the movie theater also wasn't super uh, expensive back then. All that to say, I was like. I am absolutely going to get one of these things because they're free. And I watched the entire movie with headphones on, but it was like, I had my own little kind of like personal screening of the movie. Um, So I didn't, I kind of robbed myself of the crowd aspect of it which is something <laughs> I think was kind of silly of me uh, it, it was kind of a good thing because I didn't hear the crowd it was also kind of a bad thing because I didn't hear the crowd and that's one of my favorite things about Star Wars is being able to uh, see that with a group of people so uh, definitely w- will not uh, re- do that again uh, at least on an initial viewing for sure but yeah uh, leaving the film I you know I was blown away by Force Awakens I loved all the new characters I loved the direction that Star Wars is in and Star Wars was like back you know and the fact that we were getting a movie a year was crazy to me because we, we you know we were, hadn't gotten a movie in 10 years and now we've got two more you know and i was at the point to when i saw this i was just kind of like all right like yeah it was like the action was cool um and it looked great but i was just at a point to where the characters didn't really super hit for me i still was actually pretty lukewarm on the vader stuff especially um and i also kind of had that behind the scenes knowledge of what was of what the, the production troubles were um of this movie which we will definitely discuss but that kind of colored my opinion um, of the film however in the years since um i also have grown uh you know kind of grown an appreciation for this movie um uh, and more of an understanding why a lot of people love this because at the time people were like this is the best star wars movie since you know uh, empire strikes back and i was just kind of like I, d- I just didn't see it you know i didn't understand why why this got so much love and although it's still not quite that high for me um nowhere near it, in fact I think having watched Clone Wars and having watched Rebels and all that stuff, no, it's not like, oh, I care about these characters because I saw that one episode of Rebels and they explained Jen Erso's backstory. We don't get any of that in Rebels, but it was the fact that there was room for a story like this, I think, that there was room to just kind of tell the story of this kind of isolated day or so, uh, you know, mission that happened with these rebels and you don't have to in- be introduced to these characters that are going to, you know, completely uh, engross you in that y- you have so much uh, opportunity to spend time with them and really know who they are as people. And we'll definitely discuss that because that's still on- honestly kind of an issue with me is-, is some of the character work in this film. But I think that not that Star Wars wasn't sacred because it still is to me, but the Okay, you know, I've seen rebels, I've seen the types of stories that are told with that and kind of the same thing became true of Solo a Star Wars story to where I was like, yeah, a movie can come out come out and it's just kind of a fun adventure. It doesn't have to be this groundbreaking thing for me. And so I've gotten to the point especially on this most recent rewatch to where I'm able to dig into some of those characters and find some of that depth. Um, that I didn't feel was there on the initial watch and also having the knowledge of some of the books and the comics and some of the other backstory also helps. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, it's still at the point to me with this newest rewatch, uh, the most fresh rewatch even CNN IMAX is that I think this is a gorgeous movie. I think some of visually it's some of the best star Wars to ever star Wars. Um, But there is some character work for me uh, and the the kind of just some of the messages of the movie and some of the tone of the movie that to me just isn't quite my cup of tea. Um, But I definitely understand why a lot of people like it for sure.
1: Yeah. You reminded me kind of of one of the, one of the like major gripes that I had with this um, and leaving. And I remember this very, very clearly that I was having kind of, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody uh, explaining, you know, what the movie was. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my friends, I don't remember who it was, but uh, one of my friends kind of, it, he explained it by by saying like, well, yeah, it's basically like, because somebody, somebody had asked like, what's this whole Rogue One thing about? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, it's basically, they're making a movie about why, you know, why it was so easy to blow up the Death Star, because that was, because that was the biggest plot hole in, I remember those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And it pissed me off and like, it got me to the point where I was like, this movie is like, if that's what this movie is, which now I don't think that's what this movie is, but it's like, in my mind, I was like, if that's what this movie is, I hate it.
0: I yeah, the fact want, that I don't want to like it because yeah, this idea, to, yeah, yeah, that, that they I would go know. through all this trouble to tell a, a you know a very small plot hole, quote unquote plot hole, um, which we can also definitely kind of talk about that, and it's even it, it's not necessarily like filling in this silly kind of you know. Uh, a leap in logic. I don't think so at all. I, I, I think the same can be true about what it says about the empire and ego uh, and, you know, how it is parallel with the kind of attitude that we see in A New Hope. And we'll obviously get to all that kind of good stuff. So I do remember those conversations. And it is funny, you know, with movies like this uh and you know the Mandalorian even and uh the Force Awakens and a lot of these uh other Star Wars you know uh films TV shows whatever that come out it's like no I remember what the initial reaction was and I remember what that conversation was like and how it has definitely evolved over time into where yeah again Rogue One is super super popular among fans and I yeah I get it yeah so that was you know
1: for me I that was one of the the leading things of like I don't, I don't like this movie because of, you know, because of how people are perceiving it and, you know, saying that it, it changes these things and that's the only reason that it exists, Um, you know, and, and like I said, I've gotten over that, but I'm kind of on the same page with you that, that, uh, you know, the the character work for me is what's holding this back from being something that I could really love um, because I, I really like it. I really like it. But I can't really love it because if I think of the characters that are presented in, you know, in this film, you have such a myriad of characters in Star Wars that my go-to is kind of like, okay, would I wear this character on a shirt? Would I stand up this character on my desk? Like right now, I'm looking at a episode seven Ray Funko Pop that is sitting on my wife's desk, you know? Behind me are my Maul and Palpatine episode one action figures that have signatures on them. Yeah. You know, I'm staring right now at my little, my little Burger King wicket toy. <laughs> so we're, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm able to take this, this childish thing that I love and be like, would I, you know, would I care about this character outside of watching them on a screen? Yeah. And I can safely say for, a hundred percent of the characters in this movie. No, 90% of the characters in this movie. I'm sorry, but no. So, yeah, you know, and that's, that's not a detrimental to the movie, but I'm, mm-hmm. you know, that's how we measure things these days is, yeah, you know, do they work on a poster? Do your eyes light up when you see them and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, finally this character. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at the the teaser poster for Mandalorian and everybody was freaking Gaga for that. It was like, this yeah. is the coolest thing ever. And I'm going to care about this so much until I die. Yeah,
0: And Rogue One does not quite hit that for me. Well, I don't even think it's like the aesthetic, you know, do they fulfill that action figure type of thing? But it's also this sense of even seeing them on screen. Do you have this? And it is, it's not just like a nowadays thing either. It's like, it was like that when I was a kid and it goes back oh, to yeah. the action figures too, but of like, do I see this character on screen and does it spark my imagination? And do I think of all of the other adventures that this character has been on? And for me, you know, characters like that were, of course, Obi-Wan, Anakin, Han, you know, of course the the heavy hitters, but even some of the background characters of like Plo Koon, Kit Fisto, to where I would think and I would hold that action figure and I'd be like, man, what did they get up to during the Clone Wars? Because we don't get to see some of that stuff. So it's not even just a sense of like, are their characters developed enough for I you know to where I want to spend more time with them? That's definitely an element of it, but there's for sure the visual element of it too. But for me, you know, Star Wars and and if you, there's many things that I love about this, uh, I love the lessons that it teaches about the real world. I love the way that it sparks my imagination. I love the aesthetic of it, just kind of plain and simple. Um, I love the sounds of it. Uh, I could go on and on and on about why we love Star Wars. It could literally be our own episode. Yeah. Um, but one of my favorite things and that has been pretty evergreen throughout Star Wars and makes it is that kind of benchmark for me to where if it doesn't hit this, it's not going to really super connect with me. It is all character. Like, all character all the time. Like that is my most important thing to me as a star Wars fan, because to me, that is the benchmark that it has set for itself to where you introduce these characters, not to say that all of them have to revolutionize, uh, you know, um, even merchandising and stuff like that. C3PO and this iconography of star Wars is literally never ending. Um, But this, this idea that you can have these characters who do have that sense of, they're cool. Why do I like Darth Maul? Because he's cool. But and you know they have this depth to them. They have this, uh, they have this entire journey that they go on as a character. And I think if you you are interested in sticking around and and looking for it, I think a lot of insight and perspective can be found in these characters. And for me, I think some of that is definitely here with Rogue One. But there are some characters in particular in this team that just don't super work for me. However, though. I do want to acknowledge the fact that I think it's great that Rogue One is by far and away like the most diverse Star Wars project. Um, the fact that you have Felicity Jones, yes, a white woman, but Diego Luna, Donnie Yen, uh, Wen Zhang, uh, and Forrest Whitaker, Riz Ahmed, and you know, many others who are in this film who are people of color. Uh, I think it's terrific. Um, I would love to see this kind of continued in Star Wars. Uh, and I think this that is something that the Disney era has done better with again, not perfect. We could definitely see some room for improvement, but the fact that we get so much diversity just in this one movie, I think definitely is, uh, should be applauded.
1: Yeah. It's kind of interesting thinking back to that time. I mean, 2016 was not a, uh, it wasn't a, a stellar year for diversity or inclusion. Um, yeah. There for, was some kind of you know, some,
0: something going on I in our country at the time. I'm trying to remember. remember what
1: it was. <laughs> listen, listen. My school was big enough that we had an actual riot in the hallway. Like Dope. it was it was nuts, but here's the thing: it was like, like
0: you and Jetta, just you know, trying yeah. to <laughs> trying to get through it, man. explosions and trying to get to math class. Yeah, uh, no, I'm not even joking. My friend, my friend got beat up. Like, um, anyways, uh, it was the same it, friend. He just wouldn't shut up about Batman versus yeah, Superman. Yeah, they were like,
1: "Oh, uh, we're trying to we're trying to riot here. Can you shut up?" Um, no, it was. It, I'm thinking back to it, and I'm like. Man, yeah, 2020 to now, like 2020 to 2022 has been like a horrible year or horrible Mm -hmm. couple years for this side of Hollywood. Why is it that back in 2016, I don't remember ever hearing anybody like Make a Stink or Bat an Eye at any of the diversity side of things in the Disney era, maybe aside from John Boyega, like that... Well. uh,
0: I, mean, I don't know. I, I think Daisy Ridley especially got a lot of it in Force oh, Awakens for sure, for sure. Yeah. with like the Mary Sue stuff, with I, which I just think is inherently like super sexist. Uh, but right. yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I don't remember as much. And I think it is because maybe the, the movie was so beloved. It would be pretty obvious. <laughs> I think maybe that's the key is it would be pretty obvious if people were like, I love this movie. It's a real shame about all those, you know, people of color in the movie. It's a real shame about all those people that aren't white in this movie that I otherwise love. Maybe that's the reason. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of, I guess, for lack of better words, easier for people to get away with it with something like She-Hulk, for example, to where they're like, I don't know, something about this movie or something about the show just doesn't work for me. Miss Marvel, I don't know, just something about it. I don't know. Moon Knight, though, killer. You know, like, if, <laughs> I don't know if it's if, if they, they it could be a little obvious. Oh, wait, if, Oscar yeah. Isaac isn't white. Ah, well, uh, never I mean, mind. I, yeah, <laughs> I like some of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's the reason. But I think there was still definitely some of it back in the day.
1: Yeah. It's that uh, just to say that, like, I think that for the most part, um, the good things in this movie have, have stood the test of time to be the thing that, you know, the things that make the movie stand out for a lot of people. Um, and you know, now we can look at it and say, yeah, that, you know, that was one of the good things was, was the diversity Um, of characters and of performers, you know, but, um, again, lumping that into like these, you know, these things that you would maybe now hear people complaining about again, including those production issues and whatever. Um, you know, I am glad that, that Rogue One as the first foray into anything outside of the saga and, you know, doing, doing a lot of different things in Star Wars on the big screen Has, you know, those good things have stood out and, you know, the the bad things have kind of settled at the bottom. And yeah, like you said before, you're going to be hard pressed to find anybody that still hates Rogue One, you know.
0: Yeah, um, I do want to kind of uh, address because you had mentioned that this is the first anthology movie and this was the first Star Wars thing other than the Clone Wars, which even still plays with characters that we are very familiar with. Obi-Wan, Anakin. Yes, Ahsoka is new, but, you know, uh, Star Wars Rebels, which was a, a frankly kind of a smaller Disney XD show this was the first thing on this scale for sure that was uh, set apart from the the actual films and even I remember when it came out having to explain to people of like okay You know, episode four, this is like a little bit before that, you know, trying and I still feel like I have to do that sometimes. But this was uh, kind of an anomaly at the time. And I think that that is directly relating to the title of the film, which is something that I kind of want to talk about a little bit is uh, Rogue One. Not only is it a you know, a a line in the movie, a plot significance that it is kind of the, the call sign of this rogue militia that goes off to Scarif to, you know, to, to fulfill this mission, but it is also a rogue kind of movie in a sense that it is branching off from what you feel like is familiar and it is going off in a kind of a different direction. Yes. Still using that iconography, but even the tone of the movie um, is quite different. So yeah, I, I think, you know, rogue one in regards to, uh, Uh, the 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 meaning of it uh, for what it means for the inside the movie outside the movie also what it means for these characters and jen being maybe the rogue one and all that kind of stuff Um, i really like the the title of this film Uh, let's talk about the rogue one title first and then we'll get to kind of the a star wars story thing because i don't actually know if i know your perspective on on that side of things but how does rogue one hit you well, I have to say, and I'll try to not,
1: to not get on too much of a tangent, uh, but I know that you've seen uh, Barry uh, the entire show uh, mm-hmm. on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Every time that I hear uh, the like title of a movie in the line of the movie, it reminds me of the scene where Gene Cousineau says, Wait, you have the line? We're just a bunch of swim instructors? They can't cut that. <laughs> Uh, so I just had to bring that up. Uh, it's very funny to me anyways. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I was, you know, I was a little bit like nervous about the, the, the rogue oneness. And I think that you make a good point of saying that it does have some context in kind of the actual perception of the movie as an audience member. Um, because I know this was a big thing for a lot of people that, the first thing you see is not Star Wars, right? It's Rogue One. Um, and, you know, it's so much different. There's no yeah. title crawl. There's, you know, it's not that familiar. We're back in Star Wars, right? Which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the title or the lack of title crawl for sure. Yes. Um, but that kind of alludes to that as well, that it's just like, hey, wake up. This is different. You know, I think that a lot of people probably needed that, Mm -hmm. um, going into it. I think that anybody that had their mindset too much on, you know, okay, how is this going to do this and this and how is, what is this going to mean for this? Where does this blah, 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 you know, that, that was probably, you know, a good way to establish this. So I think that that works really well. Um, for me, like looking back on it now, I don't fully like, like I get the, the um, the symbolism of the name. Yeah. It's just one of those things that's like, we're just a bunch of swim instructors, you know, or <laughs> are, are, what are, what are we some kind of suicide squad? Like, sure. It's not that bad. It's not like nearly suicide squad level, but you know, when you get the, the titular name of a, of, of a team and of the title of the movie, yeah. you want that to kind of work really well. Um, and I think that it mostly works uh, in the context of the film, like yeah. how it's said, how it's presented. Um, but I think having it be the title makes more sense if the title was something else. Yeah. Right. And they're like, what's your what's your call sign? And boat is like a uh, rogue one,
0: you know, it would be like would you pull that out of your ass? <laughs> like, sure. You know, well, I, I think it's also worth mentioning that this is kind of the first time that Star Wars had ever done that to where it's like right. kind of a title drop. You don't, you don't see the, the battle of Hoth. They're like, man, the empire is really striking back. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like you don't really, we'd have never really seen anything like that before. Um, sure. Certainly there are, you know, uh, uh, lines rise of Skywalker is, uh, has, you know, says rise in the movie and stuff like that, but it's not quite as on the nose as this is. Obviously, solo a Star Wars story, they say the character's name, um, <laughs> but it's never been to this kind of degree before. So I think, it, 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 you know, it kind of inherently does stand out a little bit for me. But it's not—it's not a bad thing. I actually—I actually, I actually kind of like the title of the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't I, think yeah. it stands out in a bad way.
1: It's—it's um, it's clever. It, you know, obviously there is importance outside of the film when it comes to what it means for the. The galaxy going forward, yeah. having that call sign, uh, obviously is important and will continue to be important. Uh, maybe uh, with Rogue Squadron happening, yeah,
0: yeah. And and I do want to ask though about the a Star Wars story title because that was something that you know was obviously with Rogue One was obviously with Solo, but doesn't really seem to be the case anymore. Is that a is that good news to you or is that bad news? Do you want the the a Star Wars story to kind of stick around? How did you how did you ever feel about that? I think that it's, I think
1: that it's mostly unnecessary, but I'm not going to say that it needs to hit the chopping block, um, mm-hmm. because you're right, you know, it's, that separates it, that, that's a clear, clear barrier between this and the Skywalker saga, and, you know, for better or worse, I think that, I think that audience has needed that, because this wasn't, this wasn't quite the age of okay, are you following every, you know, every universe that's going on right now and all the pop culture and all this, you know, all this media and everything? We are in that age right now where that's, you know, something like that would be unnecessary. If something was happening, we'd know about it. And it's like, okay, great. What does that mean for literally everything else that's ever come out? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need a Jedi survivor, a Star Wars story, you sure. know, to say that it's different from whatever. Um I think at the time it made sense. I think if it was, if it was just something that they did for just rogue one, I would say, you know what? That's baller. That's awesome. Uh, having a solo, a star Wars story kind of sets a precedent of, okay, now, so all of these are in the star Wars story category. Uh, and these other ones are not, um, yeah, it's not necessary anymore. Uh, I like where it was. I think that that was a certain era of Mm -hmm. what we needed in, you know, in, in watching movies and things. Uh, But yeah, I think we're past that. What do you think?
0: Um, I think it's a little superfluous. Like, I don't think it's super necessary because like, I understand the, the, the urge to be like, well, we want to make sure people know that this is a Star Wars thing. And we did just have another Star Wars movie come out beforehand. So I get that the the urge to be like it's a star wars story it's not episode uh at the time would have been eight um but i just don't think it's super necessary if you want to tell people of like oh this thing rogue one it's a star wars movie like go see it if you like star wars i think it's pretty like there's stormtroopers in this movie and there's darth vader and there's tie fighters and x-wings and all that kind of stuff like just put that on the poster man put that in the trailers like that's kind of all you need to know like it's you have one of the most again kind of iconic franchises uh in existence here and you have the power just to put that on the poster or put that in the marketing and sell the action figures put it on a lunchbox whatever like and it's kind of people are gonna kind of get the picture i do i guess it is like it was in a different age to where nowadays you know everything has a spinoff and everything as you know uh, a prequel and, and all that kind of stuff um i will say my i will Pour one out for those memes that came out to where it was like Gonk Droid, a Star Wars story, and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, I mean, it, it is even kind of uh, in our podcast name of Scum and Villainy, a Star Wars podcast. You know, yeah. Uh, so, like, I, I, you know, it, it feels a little uh, hypocritical to to criticize it, but it's it's not a bad thing. I just think it's a little funny that two of them have it, and then probably no other ones will. I mean, will Rogue One be Rogue One, a Star Wars, or a uh, Rogue Squadron, a Star Wars story? I don't know. I don't know who's to say, but it's, it's, I think it's a little unnecessary. I get the urge, but it's not, it's not really a deal breaker for me. It's fine.
1: Yeah. I, I think that there are, there are other ways to do it. Um, if it was up to me, I mean, the, the first trailer for rogue one is it's definitely not subtle. Uh, you get it. Yeah. Um, but if I'm thinking like, okay, how would, you know, how can we do this to make sure that people know because everyone's gonna see this trailer, right? Yeah. People were watching movies like mad dogs back in 2016. Um Oh okay. Was that my, I think that I think that must have been movie past days, you know? My my Google home is going off right now. I don't know what I said, but it, it said I needed to check my internet <laughs> settings. So uh anyways, uh yeah no, big big time for movies. People were seeing movies left and right, and uh what I would have done is something like before a new hope, before this thing and show some, you know, show some Luke Skywalker staring at the sunset, show some Darth Vader versus Obi-Wan, and then say before this, blah, 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 jump into the trailer, right? Sure. Something very simple like that can say, look at this familiar thing, okay? Now forget it. We're <laughs> on to something new. Not actually yeah. don't forget it, you know, not, yeah, we're not Kylo important. Ren over it's, here, yeah. but uh, yeah. you know what I mean though with that, that like looking at it that way of of showing this is this thing, but it's different uh, because now you have etched a Star Wars story uh, into the tablets of history forever and ever.
0: Yeah, it's something that uh, if, if Rogue Squadron did have it, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to throw a fit about it. It's just not necessary for me. However, a lot of people do feel quite differently, and it is a bit of a divisive conversation, especially before the movie. I remember that this was a whole thing where people were like – is Rogue One going to have an opening crawl? The film, obviously, now that it's been out for several years now, does not have an opening crawl. Uh, in fact, the opening title of the movie doesn't come until a little later in the film. There's kind of like a little bit of a prologue in the movie where we see a young Jen or so and her, and her father and her mother and uh, and uh, uh, being uh, attacked by the Empire. But the, the, the title, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, doesn't come on until uh, a few moments of the movie. Does that bother you? Uh, did it bother you at the time do you need uh, a a opening crawl in your star wars movie or can you kind of get on
1: without it oh no i can i can absolutely get on without it i will say um out of the two uh the the opening title for solo bothers me more um because i think that the opening title for rogue one with the prologue included uh is you know with that kind of prelude just it's just clean it's simple it's clean it's you know it's easy to digest um and i think it works in in establishing uh you know what what we're doing here you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, it's not necessary for me. I kind of like the the you know keeping it special for the for the episodic movies. Um, I I like that it's going to be a while before I hear that again, Um, and that when I do hear it, it's like, okay, we're here, you know, like that. It's like a roller coaster. That like you know, it's it's crazy how. Uh, you know, I can't really capture that feeling into words. And I'm sure if you guys obviously listen to a stars podcast, you know what it was like to see force awakens in 2015 and be like, dude, I haven't heard this in a new context and you know, so, so long. So that's something that I'm fine maintaining that, that, uh, kind of, uh, excitement for. Um, I love that nowadays, the uh the disney plus shows have that little uh opening sort of montage with the helmets and everything that's kind of like the the mcu kind of you know when i was a kid it was like the comic book flipping and all that kind of stuff it's kind of it's kind of similar to to what we have with star wars now so there is still a bit of a a a run-up into when you know i was streaming episode six of obi-wan kenobi i saw that logo and i was like okay here we go you know you're kind of uh, getting excited but yeah it's not it's definitely not necessary for me and and on rewatches I think it I'd notice it less and less uh it's not something that is a requirement and I kind of like the the specialness of of being in the theater and seeing that a long time ago and I kind of want to maintain that
1: you know yeah there there is something to say I mean obviously this is a movie that you know if you if you're a Star Wars fan that is going to care about that mm-hmm. um then you're likely going to be re-watching this movie anyways right yeah and I, that that's something that you get used to I am not a huge rewatcher of movies, it's got to be something really special for me. Um, and the the beginning of a movie that I've already seen is always like kind of the best part, right? If I'm going to be sitting down and rewatching a movie, it's going to be very intentional. And, you know, being familiar with what the beginning of a movie is, is, you know, that's the best part. So for me, being able to sit down and jump into rogue one and, you know, again, can't say it enough. Beautiful visuals. Yeah, that that feeling is rewarding again and again. Title, you know, title crawl or not, honestly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not something that I, I, I need to see uh, really with Rogue Squadron, Mandalorian, anything like that. So I'm excited. I, I miss it, but I'm excited to see it to see it coming back. Um, but you and I have obviously uh, kind of grazed it. So let's actually full on dive into kind of the story here and then we'll also get to some of the characters. So uh, the movie takes place just before um, A New Hope, the first ever Star Wars movie released in 1977, deals with this uh, gang of rebels, soon to be rebels. Uh, who are on a mission to steal these Death Star plans. Uh, Jen Urso, son of Galen Urso, who is an Imperial engineer uh, who worked in designing and building the Death Star, um, is on a mission to retrieve these plans from the Empire, which will obviously lead to the events of Star Wars. So this is an era, Noah, that we've seen kind of, um, you know, we've seen, we've, we've definitely played with a lot, uh, this pre pre-New uh, Hope post-Revenge of the Sith. We're about to jump right back into that sandbox uh, towards the end of this month for Andor. um for you back in in you know 2016 and to to even now are you excited to return back to this to this well in this area are you kind of you know uh, looking forward to getting in other directions i i don't want to say that i'm like
1: tired of that of that you know era because if, you know, if we don't spend any time there, that means that we're going to be forced to spend time five years after Return of the Jedi, um, which is what I don't want uh, right now, at least. Yeah. But I'll, I'll say this. I remember when I watched when I watched Rogue One for the first time, uh, we were, you know, kind of thinking of that. I was like, oh, man, I just want to see I just want to see Obi-Wan. I just want to see Obi-Wan because that was like that was the big thing was it was like Star Wars back. And guess what? they're going to do obi-wan sometime and i was like yeah i can't freaking wait i just want to know what happens right after revenge of the sith because we don't get a lot of we didn't have a lot of that um and so i remember being like meh one of the lesser interesting times to be in star wars but Mm -hmm. at you know at this point i'll take anything i'll take anything
0: yeah it's it, I think it makes a lot of sense like what's the alternative you know take your mind back to 2016 we are already in a post of return of the jedi sort of era here trying to kick off this new big trilogy of movies with all of these new characters so what's kind of you know what would be the other option to go into the past like pre-Phantom Menace and do like another trilogy like a corresponding trilogy at the same time I think you would either have to do something like Rogue One did where you're filling in the gaps of the things that you know and love or you would have to do this kind of weird back and forth of like Okay, it's it is post Return of the Jedi. Let's see how the First Order does come to prominence, but we're also telling a story of like also dealing with the First Order. I I, I think that that would be a little confusing. Um, uh, again, I, I remember having conversations with people trying to explain the timeline of things. I can't even imagine if this is like okay, it's after Return of the Jedi, but not that not that after. It's just a little <laughs> yeah. bit after, you know. Um, so yeah, like I I think it makes a ton of sense, and this is something that we've spent a lot of time with. Um, I am eager to go off in um, other directions, but, you know, obviously with, with Andor, I still think that there's a lot of room for this type of storytelling. Um, Just characters like Mon Mothma, for example, been around since 1983. Haven't really seen much of, you know, so I think that there are definitely a lot of corners that uh, we can kind of fill in between those lines. Uh, And uh, yeah, I, I think especially with the technology of everything and how, things, how far things have evolved uh, since 1983 or 77 to see uh, these X-Wings and TIE Fighters and even the Death Star, you know, with modern capabilities and modern technology, even still now, like, it just completely blows my mind. A lot of that uh, dogfighting that we see uh, in the Battle of Scarif in this film is just completely mind-blowing. It's it's astounding. It, it is
1: some of the best stuff, truly. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so uh, this era is obviously one that we've filled in a lot to, uh, with some 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 familiar faces, but this one, it was pretty much an entirely new group of characters. I remember when Forrest Whitaker, there was a whole thing. I remember it very, very clearly where they were like, Forrest Whitaker is playing a character that we have seen before. And I was like... What? <laughs> I was like, I was racking my brain of everything, and I couldn't quite think of one. And of course, it was a, a pr- relatively smaller um, Clone Wars character. But other than him, uh, as well as uh, Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, uh, and then a couple of other familiar faces, uh, this is pretty much a, an entirely new group of characters. So the lineup that we've got here is Jin Urso, K2 So Bayes Malbus, Cassian and Andor, at Mway, uh, Galen Urso, Saw Guerrero, Bodhi Rook, Tarkin, uh, General Draven, Mon Mothma, General Merrick, a bunch of other familiar faces here. So I think we should just kind of go, you know, one by one, talk about these characters. This is uh, your typical kind of heist movie. So you have different people facilitating these other roles. Um, I think we'll probably start like kind of smallest characters to to the biggest characters. So, you know, let's just go ahead and start off with uh, Riz Ahmed as Bodhi Rook, who is the pilot that carries the message from Galen Erso to Saga. Era. Uh Riz Ahmed obviously has gone on to do some really terrific things. Sound of Metal, uh, if you guys haven't seen that, really fantastic film. But at the time I knew him for uh, Nightcrawler, which is an awesome, awesome movie. Uh, but what is your uh, kind of, a, a, you know, impressions now on uh, the character of Bodhi Rook? Wasted. That's it. <laughs> Wasted.
1: <laughs> Damn. I, was, I was waiting for you to ask because this is like, again, I'm you know, not just trying to not just trying to shut on the characters, you know, but the work that needs to be done is not just like, man, you guys should have guys should have done this better. I am so interested in like, okay, we've had a few of these stories here and there, but bodhi is is the first prominent character of someone who has defected from the empire. um, Finn doesn't really count as defecting. I don't think um, I mean, he kind of counts, but more more or less like. Escaping to escape, right? Bodhi kind of has this mission. Um, And that to me, it it completely goes by the wayside of this guy was an Imperial pilot. And, you know, what does that mean, right? I mean, one of of my favorite things about Finn is that not everyone trusts him because he used to be a stormtrooper, you know? Not that he was an important player or anything on, you know... On the uh, on Starkiller base, but yeah. like he was Empire, right? And I get that you know Sagarrera doesn't trust Bodhi because he's an Imperial, and you know we we go through that. We get the whole Bergullet scene, and I hate it, and whatever. Um, but I, it's just it just seems like a little bit of a missed opportunity to explore a character that used to be part of the Empire. Probably has a lot to say about why he goes down the path that he does. Uh, unfortunately, he goes insane. Uh, so don't really get a whole lot of that. I don't know. I don't yeah, know.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he kind of goes insane. Like right. like he he they yeah. say he
1: goes insane, and then he's like mostly together the whole time. Yeah. just a little jittery, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it now because I think it relates to Bodie Rook's character the most, and and is kind of on topic. But the the Borgola thing is something that. Uh, initially I was like, what? <laughs> and then even now I'm like, it's some wild shit, man. It's some wild, wild shit. This movie that people are like, oh, it's the realistic star Wars movie just has a full on like hentai sequence in it, you know, to where yeah, this yeah. big, this big oogly boogly <laughs> squid, <laughs> squid thing just wraps around him. It's so weird. Of it's of so weird. Whittaker's just like, yeah, you don't know the truth. The truth. Yeah, <laughs> it's so strange. It's so weird. And like I, I I don't know, like I I get that it's trying to show this kind of Bush era sort of interrogation methods and showing that saw is going too far and he's essentially torturing him. And what do you, you know, it's a kid, it's star Wars. It's for kids. You're going to waterboard them, you know, like that's a little, (laughs) that's a little intense, but I'm also kind of like, I don't know, man, like a new hope did it. You know, they had like this big phantasm sort of ball with the, they had a big floating ball with needles. Like that's fine. You know, I don't need this, (laughs) (laughs) this big squid thing with tentacles. It's odd. It's very strange. Um, but beyond that, I I wish that if you are going to go that route of showing his mind to be a little corrupted, I guess, like kind of lean into that more because it doesn't really go anywhere. So it is this kind of like weird Chekhov's gun thing to where it's just like we, there's just not much payoff for that. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a it's a little confusing. But yes, the character of Bodhi Rook for me, I think has the potential of being interesting, but unfortunately just doesn't quite get there for me. Um, I think Riz Ahmed uh, is maybe not my favorite performance in this movie or certainly not my favorite performance of his. Um, he plays this role with this sort of jittery nervousness the entire movie, and it can be a little one note for me. Um, again, I think Riz Ahmed is terribly talented, like very very talented actor. Um, he was also in a really excellent short film last year that was nominated for and I believe won an Oscar last year, and I'm I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but he's is he's, he's very very talented. His performance in this though, as far as like the group of them, just isn't isn't quite my favorite. But you're right, I think we would have. If maybe given a little bit more opportunity to see his journey with the Empire, how it affected him um, and why he eventually kind of turned heel and 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 wanted to join this thing that was was bigger than him. Um, a lot of what we see with him is just his kind of initial frustration, wanting to speak to uh, Saw Gerrera, not really getting there. And then once Jen Erso and the rest of the gang kind of pick him up, he just doesn't have that much to do as far as the character uh, and his, his growth is concerned. He definitely has a utility as far as like on the battle of Scarif, he's trying to get the message out and he's like leading his own little team there. So um, yeah, it's not that he has nothing to do in the movie. It's just as far as the, the character is concerned, I just don't find him super compelling. And I think that there was, there could have been an opportunity for him and Cassian or Jen or, or whoever to really bond over this sense of kind of what the movie is, is is telling and we'll definitely talk about some of the bigger ideas of the film, but this idea of rebellion and how you choose to rebel and when you choose to rebel and what type of kind of uh, responsibility do you have of just kind of keeping your head down when others are uh, in pain and suffering, when you actually could do something about it. I think that that could have really related to his character, but it's just, it's not really there. It's not really there. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly though, that,
1: kind of, it's a great segue not to steal your thunder, mm-hmm. uh, but the, no the choices of when and how uh, you choose to, to look up you're right. And to stand up, um, Chirrut Mway and Baze Malbus. Ob- yes. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to not talk about them together. They're kind yes. of a, a package deal. Yes. Um, but that to me, that point is what's frustrating for me about their characters is again, awesome, awesome, awesome potential. If you had told me, if you had told me in like 2006 or seven that Donnie Yen was going to be in a Star Wars movie, I would have imploded. I would have just melted into a puddle. And I think that not that his character is wasted because he doesn't do cool Kung Fu stuff, but more so that he has the most interesting connection to the force out of any character that we've seen on the big screen and we don't really get an answer. And you know, the, the approach that is taken here is, well, why are they on this team? Because the empire is kind of opposing what is, you know, what is wanted by the force, right? The force wants balance. The empire is trying to crush everything. So they, you know, are required as guardians of the wills. To stand up to the Empire, then why are they just sitting around on Jeddah, right? Like, what I, I'd, to me, it doesn't fully track. And I get that they have their little tiny operation, but it's more of that, like, sort of A team esque, like, team up thing where it's like, hey, you, you got some good skills. What are you doing? And they're like, mm-hmm. I don't know, literally nothing. Then it's like, okay, great. Come with us. We're going to be a team now. So, yeah. They, I mean that's kind of my overall thoughts with the two of them
0: yeah well they kind of get introduced in the movie in an interesting way to so where they're on the streets of Jeddah and uh, cheer it senses you know jins uh uh crystal necklace that she has on the little pennant necklace that she has uh, and they then you know kind of intervene when this you know skirmish between Sagarera uh, and his freedom fighters as well as the Empire they they kind of uh, uh, get into a get into a tizzy cheer cheer inway as well as Baze Malbus step in and because of that they are also kind of culpable with uh, the members of Saw Gerrera's freedom fighters that actually end up dying um, and then they're kind of just like a along for the ride for the rest of the movie, yes. you know, it doesn't really seem like a conscious we're standing up and trying to do something against this and we're coming with you because we believe in your cause. I think they eventually get to that point, but they're, they are kind of grouped together with the other rebel soldiers that eventually go with them to scarif um again i think it is mostly out of not only obligation as far as like well they're with you now and what's the alternative you just leave them to die on Jeddah, you know um or it's it, it is also this, this obligation of their their mandate as the 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 guardians of the wills and i just yeah i don't think it quite dives in um Deep enough, there is a a real quick line, blink and you miss it. If you go to the bathroom, sorry, you missed the characters, (laughs) a a big chunk of the character's development. And I say that in regards to Baze Malbus as a character who apparently was a very devote member of the Guardians of the Wills and has since, for whatever reason, um, his devotion has kind of uh, dwindled a little bit. That obviously is paid off towards the end of the movie to where uh, he centers himself as being one with the force and uh, uh, avenges his friend. However, even with that, I'm also just kind of like I don't know philosophically with Star Wars that just doesn't really super gel with me. And this idea that, you know, what uh, is it? Him saying he's one with the Force while just rattling off a machine smoking, gun, and just, yeah, do, 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 yeah, 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 absolutely smoking these Death Troopers because he's pissed off that they just killed his friend. Which I get it, like I yeah. understand, but it just doesn't seem the most like Will of the Force kind Job of thing. I'm well one with the Force, uh, yeah. Yo. Maybe bop, that's. Bop, bop. <laughs> Maybe that's why he dies so quickly because the force is like, wait a minute, we're not with you. you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like, oh, just we it.
1: don't we don't really. Oh, we, I don't I don't know that guy. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It,
0: it seems like a real kind of. It doesn't. It just doesn't. You know, for lack of better words, it just doesn't right. gel well with right. me and kind of the what I think the will of the force is and what even Chirrut is doing because I think it and his actions to where he sacrifices himself and going up to the switch and and sacrificing himself to to flip it so the message can get out and the shield can be uh, uh, turned off and everything that that you know he's going out there non-violently he's not attacking anybody he's going out there and putting himself on the line for uh, a cause that's bigger than him where Baze is like you killed my friend (laughs) and I'm (laughs) pissed off so it's just yeah it just doesn't it it doesn't seem yeah, it doesn't seem very Jedi like or light side like and you play that clip with, you know, uh, Rose Tico's, you know, uh, not fighting what you hate, but saving what you love. It just doesn't. I don't know. Just doesn't work for me. <laughs> hey, man.
1: Hey, man. Listen. Well, that's that's one thing that's interesting is you kind of get that sense that he's he's centered. centered and so that's why he's able to walk through uh, to the switch. Yeah. Um, un, unharmed. Uh, but it's actually just Baze Malbus gunning down people. He's like just murdering everyone that's getting close to him. And he's like, man, I'm so one with the force right now. These these, (laughs) these bullets aren't even touching me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh, it's, uh, Baze Malbus for me, I think, has the the, the growth that the character has had as far as his, you know, connection to fighting for something that's bigger than him uh, is... I think I think at worst, it's a little redundant uh, because I think that's that's a message that we see with most of these characters. Um, But for me, I think especially especially leaving this movie, I was like, what's that guy's name? yeah well who is he you know his character begins and ends with dude with a big gun you know like uh, yeah he he was not one and still is not somebody that I was super excited for but on the Donnie Yen side of things um, I was also super super excited to see him uh, in Star Wars uh, I was a big fan of the Ip Man movies um, as well yeah. as some of the other work that uh, he's he's done he's a, an incredibly prolific uh, action filmmaker um, but I was kind of in the same place that I was not as bad Bad. Not as bad at all, but eco Waits, uh, who is in The Force Awakens, uh, who plays, you know, some gang member that literally doesn't say anything and I was just kind of like how in the hell are you going to cast somebody who whips an insane amount of ass and have them not whip ass you know <laughs> yeah. like Donnie Yen is, he gets his his sequence for sure where he does the, the cool thing with the staff but most of his stuff in the movie is like him shooting a blaster uh, especially towards the end of the film he does have that sick I mean I guess all of his shots are no look shots but uh, he does have that <laughs> yeah. really sick kind of like you know he's aiming over here he's looking over here and he Hits the the Tie Fighter that is very wicked cool, a hundred percent. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's not as bad as Equal awaits. That is the Eco awaits thing. Every time I watch Force Awakens, I'm just like,
1: JJ, <laughs> absolute
0: tragedy, <laughs>
1: absolute tragedy. Um,
0: but yeah, I think uh, Donnie Yen, uh, he's he, he's quite good in the movie. Um, I think he uh, has some uh, fun moments of humor, uh, and uh, I'm glad that he's in Star Wars. And he is also uh, he's one of the the few Funkos that I own because I just I like his whole look, and also there's some killer cosplay of him that i saw at star wars celebration i don't know what the the gentleman's name is but wow spitting image but anyway donnie ends in star wars and i think the world's better for it
1: yeah no i i absolutely agree with that statement and you know let's maybe get some more uh let's maybe maybe get some more of that side of representation of things i know we had recently um oh gosh what's her name i know her last name is Inasano, um who played the uh the M mm, starts with an M. It's in Mandalorian season two. What's her name?
0: Uh, she's got the
1: Beskar spear. What's her What's her freaking name?
0: Oh, the the I don't know what the the actress's name is, but the the magistrate I believe is magistrate. The name? I was yeah. thinking
1: Madrigal, and I was like, I know that's not it. <laughs> that's, I know that's, that's in not canto, it. That's Encanto. That's Encanto. <laughs> got I got Encanto on the brain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, we we have seen uh, some great strides towards representation as far as all that's concerned. Ming Na obviously, very excited to see of more of her. But yeah, Donnie Yen, uh, terrific and in, uh, inclusion into Star Wars, and uh, yeah, I'd like to see more of of uh, his adventures as well, for sure. But um. Continuing with some of these other characters, uh, we also have uh, Galen Urso, who's portrayed by Mads Mikkelsen. Talk about super talented actors. Uh, he's really terrific. Obviously, his work in uh, Hannibal, he's very well known for. But Casino Royale one of my favorite Bond villains. Such a weird Bond villain, too. Uh, but he is he's really terrific in this movie. And I just I not only really like his performance, but I love how they, you know, Going back to those conversations that we had had about what the the dialogue was like at the time. That If you are going to have this thing to where it's like, how could you have such a big weapon with such a small kind of, like, you just push this button and the whole thing explodes? Like, how could you overlook that? Something that a lot of people saw as a plot hole. Um, If that is the case, if you want to believe that, sure, whatever. I disagree. But I do think that even if you do believe that to be true, I think that they do such a great job, especially in regards to Galen Erso's character, of making that the point. Like it's supposed to be this oversight that the big bad empire would never think is, you know, that they even stand a chance. It's, it really rings true to me, and we'll talk about this character for sure, but it really rings true to me of Tarkin uh, on the Battle of Yavin, you know, being like, evacuate, uh, you know, in our moment of triumph? I think you yeah. overestimate their chances, you know? It's kind of that same kind <clears throat> of energy here of, like, the small little feeble rebellion, like, it doesn't matter, it's fine. Like, we're not even gonna lock the doors. Like, it's not even—it's not a, a big deal. So I love that Galen Erso is able to, um, you know, uh, really destroy the empire from the inside because of their own hubris and because of their own ego yeah and and i do think in the plot hole side of it all
1: um it's not like uh hey you just have to walk in here and do this thing it's still like uh you know luke only hits the shot because
0: exactly he uses
1: the force like you know he misses or the, the shot is missed the first time like they're like, Oh, I'm on target. Oh, oh I, I, okay. It's not that easy. Yeah.
0: Literally everyone died besides <laughs> Luke and Han and uh wedge. Like, I don't know if you remember <laughs> the yeah. hit film, star Wars, a new hope, but yeah, so, it wasn't an know, easy walk in the park. <laughs> yeah. That's part of it. That's part of it. But you're absolutely right.
1: And this is obviously an idea. And I'm sure listener, you're probably thinking this as well. Uh, this is obviously an idea that we are coming right back to with Andor. Of, yeah, you know, They'd never think that someone like me could get in their home. That's and you know, yes, that's being explored now, post Rogue One, right? Uh, and it was explored in Obi-Wan as well, with them sneaking onto Fortress Inquisitorious just because mm-hmm. they're wearing disguises, you know. Yeah. Um, like, yes, that idea has been explored. Does it ever not make sense? Absolutely not. You know, that that's and it's so funny that people were like, Oh, this scene in Obi-Wan is so stupid. They're like though they walked right by the the Inquisitors and they didn't exactly. Yeah. You got it. You're you're almost there. Like yeah. you know, so it's it it's again one of those things that's it completely makes sense in the context of what's going on. I don't think that it's explaining any kind of plot hole. The fact of the matter is that, you know, this is not a secret self destruct button. It's more of, it's more of an open opportunity, right? Yeah. Um, whereas you know you could you know secretly put in a secret self destruct button, and you just got to make sure you press the right one, cut the right wire, whatever. This thing serves a function in the way that Galen Erso was able to gain and maintain the trust of not only Director Krennic but also Tarkin, yeah. and just completely slide under their noses. So, yeah. It's I think it's really really well put together in terms of story device.
0: Yeah, and I think this movie also does a really terrific job. You were talking about how it's still even with this flaw, and you and I are also saying plot hole. I don't think you and I think that it's a plot hole. Just addressing the fact that people call it a plot hole, I just wholeheartedly disagree. I don't think it is a plot hole. But um, I I also think that this film does such a great job of making the Empire and the Rebels fight against the Empire feel so insurmountable, to where it's like the fact that this happened is you know a miracle the fact that You know, every step of the way during the Battle of Scarif is something that it's just just crazy how, you know, all of these things are able to to, you know, these dominoes are able to fall perfectly. And if one of them doesn't happen, if they don't get that shield down, then, you know, the the galaxy is forever doomed. I do think that it really builds those stakes uh, and makes it feel so uh, kind of nail biting edge of your seat action, which I don't think is any small feat either, because, again, this is a prequel to a movie that's very famous that we know that they get the plans. We know that how this movie ends. No, we didn't know that everybody was going to die, um, but we know that eventually the the good guys end up winning the day. So the journey is really in that in the or the, the story and the fun really is in that journey. And I think this movie does a, a pretty terrific job of that. But let's, um, let's go into the Empire side of things. Um, of course, you've got Orson Krennic, who's portrayed by Ben Mendelsohn, another very talented actor uh, as well, who's also gone on to do some uh, really great stuff. But uh, I got to admit, Noah, Orson Krennic is probably my favorite character in this movie. Uh, looks, performances, Dude, the character, absolutely. just everything, uh, the lines even. Uh, Orson Krennic works on all cylinders for me. He's terrific. You you know,
1: uh, hopefully you listener have been sticking around or at least have heard the right episodes to know that whenever we talk about Rogue One, I always bring up how Orson Krennic is my favorite character because he just is. He's just amazing. Absolutely steals the show. Just completely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's this really great idea that also just really builds into what we know to be true about the empire is that it's all about efficiency. uh, It's all about results. uh, It's, and it's all about ego and none of that, uh, none of this. uh, Oh, but I, I, this is all because of me. Like I orchestrated this whole thing. Doesn't matter. Like you serve you are a tool for the empire. And when you are not of use to us anymore, we will discard you, you know, like you're a dirty rag. Like (laughs) the fact that Orson Krennic, you know everything from his costume that he uh, you know he is this uh, imperial science officer, but he wears a cape for some reason, which I love that in some of the visual dictionary stuff. It's like yeah, doesn't need it. Like that's not regulation. You know he wears <laughs> it because it makes him look cool. Uh, to even his name, kind of this Orson Wells kind of attitude. Big I just love prescription glasses energy. One hundred percent. Like I just I love this kind of uh, energy that he has in his his uh, play with with Tarkin, which. We'll talk about, but all of that to say is I think because of or- Orson Krennic and his relationship with the Empire, a lot of that makes the, some of the Tarkin stuff go down a little bit easier for me. Which again, we will get to. But I love that he goes to Vader, you know, directly and tries to plead with him, and that doesn't quite work out for him. His story really is this cautionary tale of what happens when you give everything to the empire that they don't care like their allegiances to themselves and their allegiances to power uh and once you kind of uh, oversay your welcome you're you're done and the way that he meets his end is one of the most poetic deaths in Star Wars, one of the funniest deaths in Star Wars, like one of the most brutal deaths in Star Wars. The fact that he is on this tower, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, on this, on this base and gets completely obliterated by his own weapon. uh, It's something that honestly, I didn't even notice, like maybe the first couple of viewings. And then once you notice it, it's hard to not notice it. But the fact that he is on this tower and the, the Death Star laser barely just buzzes that tower and just, uh, you know, makes a beeline for him is just uh yeah, it's poetry. It's, it's fantastic. It rhymes. Yeah. That's what they say. Uh, no, <laughs> really. What they the,
1: say. It, it's his, I, I, the one thing that I would think with his character is I'd love to see, I would, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more resolution of his understanding of his place in the empire. As soon as that choice is made, uh, because we kind of get that, like, uh, you know, you go, you watch a movie, character is about to die, and they go, "Oh shh," and then they die. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, ha right. ha ha. He, you know, whatever. Right. You kind of get a little bit of that energy uh, w- with with his death, um, but because he's such a devoted character, I mean, we see him pursuing Galen, you know, however many years before the events that we yeah. see unfold. The rest of the movie. Right. And he's completely devoted his life to the empire. And we've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of characters that question their loyalty to the empire, a lot of people, a lot of characters that see things that, you know, make them kind of, uh, you know, a little uneasy about this and that and whatever. Right. But with Orson Krennic, he is like just he's got posters on the wall <laughs> of of Vader and Palpatine. Yeah. He's like he's got the, you know, the national anthem memorized, you know, whatever they have. I guess, I guess technically it is the Imperial March. It um, is an
0: in-universe. It is. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if
1: there are lyrics to the Imperial March. I would imagine, like that the somewhere. Book of <laughs> Boba
0: Fett theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. we are the Empire. <laughs> yeah, That'd be great. I, but
1: he's that kind of guy. He's a, he's a nationalist, and and I would I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of that realization um like the revelation of of what has transpired uh not yeah. in his favor which we sure. don't get that but that is okay because again i love his character i love what i love what it means in like in relation to other characters like you said tarkin um but more importantly you know you have the Jin and galen of it all um yeah so anyways yeah that's those are my thoughts on orson krennic
0: Yeah, and I love that we also get to like see. Kind of the inner politics of the empire, you know, and it's it's something that we get like a little bit of a tease in in A New Hope, to where we see that roundtable discussion uh, with Tarkin and Vader and all the other uh, Imperials. But it's 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 like anything; they they all don't see eye to eye. They all don't necessarily get along. Uh, and there's multiple sequences in this movie to where, uh, and one of the most famous is uh, Orson going up against Tarkin as you stand here. It's my achievement, not <laughs> yours. It's like one of the best, and uh, I just I. love <laughs> Love looking around at some of the other Imperial officers who were just kind of like, oh, upper management's yelling at each other, you <laughs> know, <laughs> just standing there with their clipboards. Uh, it's really terrific. But yeah, let's go ahead and uh, move on to Governor Tarkin, who uh, is portrayed by Guy Henry, who does the motion capture performance for the or the, uh, the digital performance uh, for Tarkin in this film. Um, it's something that I still see a lot of people not loving uh, in this movie. I've definitely had kind of a roller coaster ride with this. It's, it's made maybe way more up and down than a lot of other people kind of have been. Um, but I, I, I'm i actually curious to see what you're uh, what, what, kind of, where do you see the, the digi Tarkin?
1: Well, it's, it's weird because I'm thinking about it and I'm like, okay, when I first watched rogue one, there were a lot of things that I was upset about. And there were a lot of things that didn't jive with me. Um, Tarkin especially was something that didn't not jive with me. Uh, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. I can't believe this. How dare they blah, blah, blah. I just, you know, looking at him like, Oh, you know, there, it looks pretty good. Okay. There maybe could use some work. Okay. That looks pretty good. You know? And I understand his involvement and I was like, Oh my gosh, like we get to see more Tarkin. That's kind of, that's kind of crazy. You know, it really never struck me as like, Whoa this is like you know stop the press all oh, we yeah. gotta talk about this um and I, I think that's because of his importance in this um and you know hats off to the people at ilM and and all of you know all of the teams that came together to to make something so incredible right. let alone the performance um i I think that on the whole, Uh, It works, but I don't ever get over that this is a fake person type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just kind of that, I don't know. You didn't love Ready Player One, right? No. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, it it kind of has that feeling to me where I'm like, okay, I understand what I'm seeing as this is sort of auxiliary to a person standing in front of a camera, right? Um, And that knowledge is like, I'm never going to like watch that and be like, Whoa, I forgot that I was looking at his, at a fake person here. Um, that's something that we have learned to live with a lot recently. And I think here it's not that offensive.
0: Yeah. I've never felt like it is distractingly bad. Um, I know that is kind of like a hot take. A lot of people think that Tarkin looks very noticeable in this movie, uh, and is really obvious, but for me, it's like, I don't know. I feel like I've, I've talked to multiple people who didn't know that, you know, either one didn't recognize Tarkin as being a, a star Wars character. Uh, and, and more than that, an actor who is not with us anymore. You know, like I know there's lots of people who probably wouldn't even notice. Maybe they might, you know, feel like something is maybe a little off with, with it, but, um, even so with the knowledge of noting that Peter Cushing obviously isn't with us anymore, it's never been distractingly bad. And I think the utility that he serves to the story is, is what's important to me. Cause he's not just a, Oh, look, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's that cameo, you know, uh, there are like Panda Baba, you know, that we see in this movie. And I know that's something that's thrown around a lot of just kind of being like the, ho ho. they look at that thing that I know, you know, it's not that Tarkin has a very important role to the story, what he means for Orson Krennic and that, in that character. And I think it makes Tarkin like stronger in my eyes. And a lot of the stuff that we've gotten in the comics and the novels and stuff like that. Uh, I think Tarkin is a a really fascinating character and I would have been disappointed just to see like, like a scene or two scenes with him you know i'm glad that he has a more substantial role i think that the the digital work that is done with this is probably aside from some deep fake stuff um is probably like the best that can really be done you know like i've not seen any digital humans that look any better than this other than maybe Some scenes, I I highlight some scenes in Gemini Man. There are also some other scenes that are like absolutely horrifying. But that's (laughs) a totally different thing as far as like Will Smith, real person that you can de-age and have right there to where Tarkin, uh, obviously, Peter Cushing, not alive, not around anymore. So as far as like making a digital person. Yeah. The Irishman did it for three hours. Yeah, but that's also like de-aging. It's different than like we're bringing this person back from the dead, which again, I'm just talking about the technical side of things that we could do a whole episode on uh, kind of the weird wizardry of some of this de-aging and also yeah. like resurrecting thing that could be a whole that's a whole other separate conversation I think an important one too but I think uh, Guy Henry does a really terrific job uh, as em- embodying this role uh, and I think Stephen Stanton I believe is who does the the voice does a really terrific uh, impersonation of Tarkin so yeah even though it's not something that when I watch I, I'm like, i like I don't notice it uh, I obviously notice it because it's you know I notice it the same way that when I watch Rise of Skywalker I know that Carrie Fisher is was no longer with us when we, when we filmed that. Do I think that that makes all of the scenes bad? And do I think that some of the VFX are noticeable and that makes the scenes bad? No, of course. You know, it's, I, I think you, 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 you play the hand that you're dealt. And I think that the the hand that they played is a, is a still pretty strong here. Yeah, it is. And like you said, Tarkin's involvement is incredibly
1: important. You know, talking about the politics of everything, it makes him, uh, you know, a little bit more, two-dimensional, three-dimensional, um, than than what we see uh in you know in a new hope, where his role here, it's so funny because you think of the Empire as like, well, they all answer to Vader, right? Yeah. Not really, you know. Um, and like we've talked about before, everyone, you know, is kind of self-serving and uh and and the power struggles are are more uh you know aligned with kind of the dark side of things and and how we see this world as light and dark. Um and Tarkin is incredible in that, in that sense, you yeah. know, just kind of snatching up credit from from Orson and, yeah. you know, using the politics of it to just be like, hey man, no thanks. We're good. Uh yeah. and you know, he's he's very, very uh Dastardly, I think is, you know, it's probably a word that Peter Cushing would, would appreciate. Yes, yes, of course.
0: Uh, and I, you know, keeping on the Empire side of things and we'll jump back to the Rebel side of things. Obviously, Darth Vader, a uh, big, important character, not only in Star Wars, but this movie especially and also the lead up to the film. Uh, I remember being very excited to see what Vader would do in this. And um, I think initially for me, I had very high expectations for Vader, which I think ultimately kind of colored my reception ception uh, of, of what we actually got. I think that that's uh, a lesson that I definitely learned as far as I went in expecting Vader to pull an X-wing out of the sky. And when I didn't get that, I was disappointed. And I think I've definitely learned my lesson then. And also I've grown, I've grown as a, a star Wars fan. I would think I was what 17 when this movie came out, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, I was 16, uh, literally like a couple days before turning 17. So, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that you know, we'll talk about what we actually get, but yeah, I think it's a good lesson in learning, uh, kind of, you know, cause I, I think there were some rumblings. Vader was going to be in the movie more. He was going to be actually on Scarif, all this kind of other stuff, but, uh, Darth Vader. And for you, were you initially, uh, kind of anticipating seeing him? Were you happy with what you got? Even then? I'm going to, I'm going to say this and
1: I am going to stand by it. Um, I have not always been like the biggest simp for Darth Vader. um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, kind of the energy that he has in episode four is incredibly one dimensional. And that's just because he's villain guy, you know, Um, that's, you know, not to say anything about Anakin's character or even Vader's character beyond episode four. But, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing where this character comes from, you kind of get a sense of what you're going to get. And so I was just... I was just satisfied with whatever because the prospect of Vader being in this says that there is, you know, that there are huge stakes and that's, you know, kind of, that's what we get. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, happy with his inclusion, not too dissatisfied with, uh, with his importance. Um, I do think it bears mentioning that, you know, even today you, you know listen to people that are like oh my gosh the coolest thing in any of star wars is the vader scene it's the coolest thing ever and it's why vader is so badass right yeah um i think shut up uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how else to say it it's just it's frustrating it's so frustrating because sure. you know yes we get it it's cool um because it's cool you know but there's, you know, we are, we are at, at this point in, in, uh, you know, at the time of row one coming out, we are seven movies deep with a legacy of who Vader is and was. And it feels very regressive to look at that and be like, Oh, he's just the coolest. Oh, he's yeah. just the coolest. You know? I mean, when you watch revenge of the Sith, are you rooting for Anakin? You know how it's going to end, right? Yeah. It, it it is so strange to me that it's just like this power fantasy of people that are like, well, if I had a lightsaber and I was a bad guy, I would just, I would just go absolutely berserk, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. It's, and I, th- I don't know. It's something that's like, you know, uh, even been aware to George Lucas. And when he, when, when Revenge of the Sith came out and is a movie that a lot of people love, but like, I I, I I mean that's a uh, uh, talk about other episodes that we could do that's a different episode of kind of the misinterpretation <laughs> of Darth Vader uh is com- generational has been going on for decades and decades and I get it Darth Vader's an action figure um, and Darth Vader is on lunchboxes and backpacks and he is a cool character you can play him in video games and I'm not gonna lie I love you know going into and in feed on uh, Galactic Assault and Battlefront 2 and choking like seven people in a row and throwing my <laughs> lightsaber at him it's fun like it's really fun <laughs> but I think it's different to when you're playing a video game or to when you watch a movie and you go I want to be like him you know right. it's just it's just it's not really the point and George Lucas would say as much as that when Anakin falls to the dark side it's not supposed to be something cool it's not supposed to be something that you pump your air you pump your fist in the air and you get excited about it's it's a tragedy and it's supposed to be upsetting I think that Vader in this movie uh we obviously get you know uh, the 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 scene on Vader's castle, which I love, I love, 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 love Vader's castle. One of my favorite Lego sets that I have, uh, absolutely terrific. Um, I don't like that sequence as much. The conversation that he has with Krennic, um is you don't love that. Don't it's love a that? little, it's a little too sarcastic for me. Um, so okay, okay, we'll go for that scene first because that's just kind of chronologically what happens. I I I think one the look of things. I know that Vader's lenses in A New Hope are red, but the way that it's shot in Rogue One is they are like very red. Like you can yeah. see them very very clearly. Um and I think when you watch A New Hope it's kind of almost like, "Hey, did you know those lenses are red?" and it's like, "Huh? Nope." You like <laughs> And then uh I just think it's it comes off on camera as like whoa, like he's wearing like Oakley's, you know, it's yeah, just, yeah. it's a little much. It's a little much. Also, I don't know. Um, Vader also seems to be shot like a little shorter in that sequence. I don't know. He feels little to me. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, uh I could be totally wrong. That's no, just yeah, maybe my I, own I see impression that. of things. I think, it's, yeah.
1: I think it's the, the composition of like the scale of where, of where they are in relation maybe. to each other. They're, they're in a big space, you know, yeah. and a lot of times you see Vader, he's, you know, filling up an entire hallway, right? Maybe that's it. I I can see that.
0: Yeah, maybe that's it. Um, But just as far as like none of that stuff really bothers me that much. However, in every single watch, I don't know if I'll ever get over it, but the don't choke on your aspirations line, I'm comfortable in saying I don't think it's ever going to work for me ever. Uh, (laughs) It's it's I I think Vader is a humorous character to where he does say things that are sarcastic uh, and uh, and and biting um, to where, I, I go to you know Return to the Jedi, to where he says the Empire isn't for uh, or the uh, Emperor isn't as forgiving as I am. Obviously, he's not forgiving. He's been choking fools since day one. Like <laughs> yeah. that's kind of his whole thing. Um, like I, I I get that and I can appreciate that. However, for him to throw in a pun, I don't know. It's just a little. <laughs> it's a little much for me. Um, and it's not even a good pun at that. Like it's, uh, yeah. The don't choke on your aspirations line is uh, is not my favorite Vader line. I'll say.
1: Yeah, I, I would like to know who greenlit that. Maybe that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back <laughs> when they, they shot that Gareth
0: Evans is like, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. They they shot that and you know, all the execs walked in at the wrong time and they were yeah. like, Who approved this? Who, yeah. who greenlit this? Scrap yeah. the whole thing. So yeah, yeah. That does does not fully work for me ever. I don't think off the top of my head, I don't think there's another uh I don't think there's another pun. In, like, in any of Star Wars, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd I'd really have to, like, I'd really have to think about it.
0: Um, I think of, uh, of Obi-Wan, um, doesn't he say something about being on top of things? Um... Oh yeah, with Padme. Oh, yes, yeah, and attack yeah, of the she clones. Seems that's to be on pun. top of things. No, yeah, but that's, that's a baller. That's a fun. No, that's
1: baller. <laughs> you yeah, get a pass. That's he, baller. Everyone
0: gets always gets a pass, but um yeah, the the Vader thing for me, it's just uh, it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite. It's not like boo, you know, I'm not going to like burn my copy or anything, but it's just not my favorite. Oh, brother. This guy
1: stinks.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not great, but uh, I'll forgive it all for this sweet sweet Lego of Darth Vader's castle. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but yeah. Then um, obviously we get some insert shots of him saying, you know prepare my prepare a boarding party, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's also w- also worth noting. Uh, I love that James Earl Jones is back in Star Wars and that he're surprised he, he reprised the role as Darth Vader. However, it can also be true that I think uh, he noticeably sounds a little older. You know, yeah. um, I think that that's the real, that's, that's life men get older, you know, voices change and all that kind of stuff. However, I just think it's, it's, it's worth mentioning for me. And it is something that when I watch, I think it is noticeable. However, when I watch Obi-Wan Kenobi, if that is him. You know, and I'm I'm still I'm still suspicious. I still think there's some AR AI trickery going on there. Um, but uh, I don't think he sounds as as old in Obi wan Kenobi again. If that is him, well, th- that remains to be seen. But the next big sequence that we sequence that we get, you had already mentioned, is the Darth Vader hallway sequence, which is uh, infamous in its own way, loved in its own way, has been parodied, all this kind of stuff. But for me. When I first saw the movie again, I was kind of like that's it? Like that's all we really got? I was expecting a little bit more Darth Vader action. Um and then seeing the the, the reaction of everybody and, and and everyone acting like this was the best thing in Star Wars for me or the only good thing that Disney had ever done. To me, even back then, and I think now my reaction is is different. I don't need Darth Vader to go in and and pull down a next wing. I just I, and you had already mentioned, I, I I do get a little frustrated to where people act like this is all that Star Wars can and should be. Um, And they kind of worship at the throne of Darth Vader um, as being this cool power fantasy of, oh, man, if I had the force, I would be doing just that or just wanting to see the force unleashed uh, when they when they go see a Star Wars movie to where to me, it's like Star Wars isn't anime. You know, it's not Dragon Ball Z. You're not supposed to see all this power fantasy sort of stuff. And it's not supposed to be. I I think that's a misconception. I don't think the scene is supposed to be like badass and cool. Um, I think it is cool. To see lightsabers and to see four stuff. And yeah, Vader throws a guy in the ceiling and then cuts him in half. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pretty cool. But I think the point is supposed to be terrifying. Like it's supposed to be horrifying that you're seeing Darth Vader as this monster, you know, that the, the galaxy fears, uh, and to see the evil that he is capable of. That that's why when Luke is able to get through to him, it's such a victory for him that he was able to transform this monster and kind of melt his cold heart. In a sense for me now, I'm at the point to where I, I like the scene, I watch it and I just get a little, I'm kind of like arms crossed, just kind of like, you know, not because of the scene, not because of the scene. I'll talk about why I like it, but not because of the scene itself, but more because of the fan reaction. It's more of just kind of like, I, it just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth, mouth, because of people, because of what they've done to the scene, and they've kind of, they've kind of manipulated it to being this cool, you know? Oh, that's so Patrick badass, Bayton, right? Exactly, and and yeah. Tyler Durden and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, you're not supposed to want to be these characters. It's supposed to be kind of a not a good thing for me. Right. The scene does work for me because I think it's showing that, and we talked about it when uh, I believe is episode five of Obi wan Kenobi that. Even with all this power that Vader has and even seeing what he's capable of when he's uh, provoked, you know, um, that power doesn't save him or that power doesn't get him what he wants. And it's the same thing that we saw when Anakin uh, was was fearful of losing Padme, that he thought, oh, I could have all of this power and I could save her, get what he wants, but even still of all the power that he's able to obtain, what does it get him? Gets him nothing. It gets him pain and heartache. Uh, uh, and he and he loses. He loses himself. And I think that what we see here in Rogue One is the same thing, that we see him, yeah, tearing through these rebel soldiers, but does he end up getting the Death Star plans? Nope. You know, like it's, right. it's a, he loses in this. The, the rebels end up, this is a victory for the rebels. Um, and I think that that's something that I find really compelling, uh, way more so than, oh man, it's so badass. Darth Vader, what a cool guy. I want to be just like him. So, yeah, Darth Vader is cool. Lightsabers are cool. The Force is cool. But I just don't think that that's the primary point with this sequence. Right, exactly. And I do think that, you know, when it comes
1: to this scene, it just in general, you know, saying that it's supposed to be terrifying, yes, it is. And you know, we talked not too long ago, kind of about that uh, that tone of things. So, thinking of this versus like the scene in Obi Wan Kenobi where Darth Vader shows up on Mapuzo and snaps a dude's neck, yeah, you know, just because, and drags a woman through the streets with the Force, like that's terrifying. What's different about that? you know, versus this scene in Rogue One. And I think that, you know, it kind of has, the, the scene in Rogue One kind of has this like John Wick-esque feel to it that, you know, that makes it too cool to not pay attention to, right? Where it's it's cool fighting choreography, it's, you know, lightsabers and blasters, and, you know, you're, you do get a sense of his power, but more in the sense of, boy, he can really mow through a line of nameless, faceless soldiers, right? Not, he can drag an an innocent woman through the streets uh, and snap a kid's neck. Those are two very different things that are supposed to, you know, kind of exert the same tone. Um, But clearly one has been perceived uh, differently than that. I mean, I guess maybe there's still people out there that are like, oh my gosh, you see that scene from Obi-Wan Kenobi? This is the dopest thing ever. And it's, you know, definitely not. I mean, I've seen a lot
0: of fan reaction that's like, good Christ, why did I just watch? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's clear. And I do want to I do want to be clear. uh, And I think you would you would agree is that you and I, this is cool. Like, it's cool. Like, it is is cool. Of course, it's cool. But to me, I just get frustrated when people act like this is the only good thing that Disney has ever done. Uh, and uh, moments like this in that one scene in The Mandalorian Season 2 with the, with Boba Fett is what Star Wars is and that's it. To where you and I have talked a lot about is there's so many things, Star Wars can be so many things and to limit it just to the cool shove popcorn in your face kind of action figure sort of scenes to me is just really reductionist uh, and just n- and, and pretty fl- flagrantly missing the point of what the scenes I think often are um, and we could also talk about that that Mandalorian scene too because I also don't think that that's the point of that scene either you know um, yeah it is cool to see Boba Fett do cool shit it is cool to see Darth Vader do cool shit we see X-Wings do a lot of cool shit in this movie that it's like yeah there's deeper meaning about you know the responsibility and finally taking a stand and doing what's right even though it could risk you your life but also we get to see uh, a, a rebel ship ram itself into a star destroyer which rams itself into another star destroyer like it's dope like and it's it looks cool awesome. It it's looks awesome so good. yeah <laughs> yeah so it's it is really cool but however i think star wars is many things cool is one of them but there's also so many other kind of colors in that palette and i just want some people to you know, equip their brush with said color. And I think that most people are just like, flagrantly refusing to and they wanted Luke and Last Jedi to do something like this and they you know stomped and and, and cried when Last Jedi came out for uh, yes I know a lot of reasons and uh, lots of them are complicated for sure but then I feel like a lot of those same people when the Mandalorian came out were like Ugh, finally that's my Luke Skywalker to where I'm just kind of like I, it, it is just frustrating because I don't feel like there's there's this room for, for growth or for depth so yeah I, I you and I I really like the scene I think it's cool Um, I just think that some fans can kind of manipulate this scene to be an example as to why other star Wars sucks to where I'm just kind of like, or you could just like this scene and think it's cool. And then also like other stuff too. So, yeah, I mean, I
1: hope so. Yeah. I I hope that people can do that. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Back onto the, uh, rebel side of things or kind of rebel adjacent here, uh, kind of getting into the gray area of things. Uh, Noah, it's that time we got to talk about Saw I, I know that you've uh, been frustrated. You can't make <laughs> me. You can't make me. Borgola will know the truth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you and I have uh, aired our grievances about Saw uh, You have, especially. Um, yes. I, I, I don't feel as strongly towards the character. Um, but on this, upon this uh, newest rewatch, did the character grow for you at all? Or were you no. still kind of? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Walk me through, Noah. What are your feelings for Saw Gerrera on this newest rewatch of uh, Rogue One? I just don't
1: feel like i i i get his i get the point of him being there um i i just think that the explanation for his character um or at least who he is as a character is so kind of all over the place and mangled by you know trying to shove it into the story that is ongoing um that it really just irks me. I, I like if you read between the lines, you can kind of understand who he is, what he's about, what is his connection with Jin and Galen, and you know that sort of thing. But you don't fully get it, so all you get is this guy that is incredibly paranoid and is pretty you know unnecessarily violent, um, and then sacrifices himself. Uh, for this cause essentially going down with the ship, Um, you know, figuratively not, he's not on a literal ship. He's in a big temple place. Um, But you know, it's just, I, I, I struggle with him in this movie particularly because I think that this is one of those cases of, Oh, what if we put this character in there? Right. And I'm not saying that, that, I have another character in mind that would be better. Um, But I want to know, you know, why does Saw Gerrera serve that purpose? You know, if, if we are, if we are essentially saying that we need a character that serves the purpose of maybe showing Jin and the rest of the the gang, uh, you know, the stakes of, of what's going on and what needs to be done, uh, in order to combat these things. And their, you know, response to this is to go to the rebel Alliance. Why saw, you know, that, that, that to me doesn't, it just doesn't fully track, but I understand it. I get it. I just think that his character is, you know, is there because, Because, he, you know, they wanted him to be there. I don't know. It's really difficult for me to explain in a way that's like, oh, well, it would have been better if this. Because I don't think that. I don't think that it would have been better without him in it or that somebody could have taken his place. It's just strange to me that we, you know, going through this auxiliary media, we know what his character is like, but we don't really see that here. We're just kind of told about it. And it doesn't end up mattering to the final result of the motivation of the characters that we do spend time with, you know.
0: Yeah, I think his utility in the movie is kind of interesting in the sense that I, I totally agree in that I just don't quite understand why Galen Urso sends Bodhi to him. Like I don't I don't know why Galen thinks that he is capable of taking down the Death Star. Um, I would assume that he would know because they even mentioned as much uh, kind of in the the initial rebel meeting that we have with Jen is that things because of Saw Gerrera are complicated now and that he is complicating things. So I wonder if Galen thinks that like he is the rebel alliance or that he is a part of that. Um, I would assume that he would be aware that he is doing some radical things and that whatever capacity we will see, of course, but whatever capacity the the Rebel Alliance is in the in the Senate, you know, um, I, I would assume that they're trying to make it clear of like, he's not with us, you know, he's off doing his own thing. He's kind of going renegade. So I yeah, I don't really know why uh, Galen sends Bodhi to him I, that's still a bit of a mystery to me however I do like the place that he does occupy in the film I suppose of being this kind of gray area um, being this this you know understanding when and where to take action and to uh, and understanding who gets hurt in that um, there's a, a sequence uh, kind of on Jetta to where because of the actions of the, the freedom fighters, some uh, like a woman and child get put in harm's way. Um, And because of that, you know uh, it's making clear of uh, like, you know, like a lot of these things kind of do is like, yeah, their head might be in the right spot, but they're taking some actions that are causing other people harm. So I, 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 I think he navigates an interesting kind of gray area. However, I just don't think it's explored terribly well. Um, there's not a, as much of a discrepancy between him and the rebel alliance other than their size, you know, like the rebels, other than like accidentally hurting like this civilian um, who, you, you know, um, this, this civilian uh, early on to me, it's just not, it's not quite clear enough to like what exactly the difference is. And maybe that's the point, you know, maybe that is the point of that we see, You know, and as I'm kind of talking through it, maybe I'm just working it out, just talking out loud. But like we see Cassian at the beginning of the movie kill somebody that is giving him information and he kills him because he, like the Empire, he's of no use to him. So it is kind of Cassian finding himself of where do you fall between the light and between the dark, the dark side being the Empire and Saw Gerrera being in the middle of that. So I understand that you know, uh, maybe, uh, this is kind of an exploration for Cassian of, of which side are you going to fall on? Do, are you going to lose sight of yourself, uh, in this pursuit of this rebellion and pursuit of trying to liberate the galaxy and that you now are doing things that are just as bad as the empire is doing because it's for a so-called better cause, you know? Um, it, it is kind of the last Jedi conversation as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the, the, this the, the, what we see with, with Saw Gerrera and his freedom fighters, I think could be explored a little more thoroughly. Um, just kind of, you know, uh, pretty, uh, opinion stuff. Um, Forrest Whitaker's performance in this iteration of Saw Gerrera. Cause it does change. Um, the voice doesn't really work for me. Um, it's very, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty easy to parody. Um, but it's just, it's not quite my favorite. I do like the look of the character and that he is, there's even some, uh, uh, audio cues of him using the breathing mask and sounding like Darth Vader and all this kind of stuff so he is very literally embodying this kind of middle area between between the two. Um, I do like that a lot. I think he looks terrific. Um, the voice, though, um, it's a little silly. It's a little silly. So, yeah, I, I think some nuance uh, could be appreciated or maybe just more time to explore this character, um, which maybe is why he's popped up in so many other things. Um, but I even think in that, I don't really feel like we've uh, really explored that side of things of, like, what is he doing that's so... Bad. You know, obviously we see some civilians get in the way, but, you know, Cassian is, do, is doing something like that. And we also see the Rebel Alliance in this very movie making some calls, you know, that could get some people killed and engaging on that platform. They don't know that those other Imperial science officers, um, you know, are are, uh, you know, being held under their will or being captured and, and kind of forced a gunpoint to do some of this stuff. So yeah, it, it is a, it, in it being a gray area, it's kind of hard to navigate. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of complicated and I'm still, I'm still honestly kind of working through it. Yeah. I think that's my biggest thing with Saw
1: is that, you know, especially on a rewatch, um, cause I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even nail down like my initial feelings on him. Um, if you paid me to, I really couldn't. But on a rewatch, having understood a little bit more of where he pops up and how often he pops up. Um, yeah, he's mostly the same, um, you know, in everything. Uh, the only difference we see in him is his introduction in clone wars. Yeah. Uh, and even then it's just, you know, it's just hinting at how, you know, rash his character is. Um, so that, that's kind of the frustrating thing for me is we see him and I can know in my head that I've got like a couple adjectives for what his character is like. But beyond mm-hmm. that, it's it's a mystery, you know, yeah. only Burgullet knows the truth. <laughs>
0: that certainly is true. Maybe uh, they're a thing. Oh, I don't want to think about that. No, thank you. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, moving on uh, from uh, from uh, there. Please God quickly. <laughs> uh, let's talk about K2SO um, portrayed by Alan Tunick, yeah. uh, who does kind of the, the voice and uh, the motion capture for this. Uh, Star Wars has got to have its sassy droids and K2SO is certainly one of the sassiest and definitely a fan favorite. Also, uh, one of the saddest deaths in Star Wars for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I I don't know about you, but you know, the, the design of the uh, Imperial droid, uh, is just, wow. I mean, I, I'm always going to be in love with that design. I think it's really, it feels very like innovative, but also a little bit regressive in a good way to Mm -hmm. where there's nothing fancy going on. It's kind of just a big bulky skeleton. Um, And it's just so funny knowing the empire's involvement with droids and their use of droids. uh, And I guess lack of use of droids is a better way to put it. Yeah. um, Because that's just not something that they do, but these droids serve, you know, serve a a huge purpose and we see even more in fallen order, obviously. Um, But I think the design is really awesome. uh, And I think that his character actually does lend quite a bit to fleshing out a couple other characters. Uh, I think that K2SO brings out a lot in Jin, uh, and obviously as well, um, kind of gives another side to Cassian. Um, but the three of them, K2SO kind of holds together, uh, the three of them and is the voice of reason, obviously. Um, so yeah, literally
0: like no complaints about K2SO ever. I think that, yeah, these three next characters, including K2SO, that we're going to talk about are definitely the strongest characters in the movie. And as much as I love kind of the Ocean's Eleven but Star Wars kind of energy, um, I think that this movie would be better if it was a little more narrow-focused on these characters and maybe one other one, you know, maybe throw in a a Bodhi Rook or something like that. Because I think like Bodhi Rook, K2SO has this great, uh, uh, you know thing about his character that really does is in conversation with what the movie is talking about as far as you know him being reprogrammed made to do this one thing and kind of Going beyond that and and being reprogrammed to do something else, and then kind of be choosing, you know, to to where you're going to put your talents and to where you're going to put your efforts, and deciding when and where you decide to rebel. Um, I I think K-2SO is not just the sassy droid, and he is really funny. Obviously, a lot of the moments of humor uh, in the movie are because of K-2SO. He's got plenty of great lines. Still, moments that when I see now still make me laugh. Uh, also, great action. You know, there's a great action and comedic beat to where somebody throws a grenade and he catches it and just like nonchalantly throws it behind him a really great moment but yeah i think his his character what he means to jen about you know you initially thought that you were kind of made to just be this one thing Uh, and then when that changed for you you kind of lost this sense of direction but you still have that ability to choose your your own destiny and i think that that's true for cassian as well so yeah k2so from the design of everything alan Tunick's performance um i think is really terrific
1: Yeah. And I I do have to say, I do think that K2SO fills the, uh, I think that he fills the Brad Pitt role. Uh, and we're, we're strictly talking oceans 12, obviously Jen Jen Jenner. So is uh, Julia Roberts. No question about it. Uh, and Cassian is obviously George Clooney. So, uh, I just, you know, that just had to be said. I'm more of an Ocean's Eleven guy. You know
0: me. Uh, big Ocean's Eleven fan. Damn. Man, Ocean's Twelve is so good, though. It's so good. I just thought, man, I, instead of recording this podcast, I could be watching Ocean's Eleven. So <laughs> <laughs> might have to might have to do that afterwards. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about uh, Jen So next. We'll leave the 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 reason for the season, as it were, uh, for last. But uh, let's talk about Jen Erso, portrayed by Felicity Jones. Um, this was a character that definitely was not I was not super fond of, um, initially, uh, but really has only grown, uh, on me. And, uh, actually, I actually really do, uh, like Jen or so, and especially, uh, for kind of, uh, what she means now and what's going on in our real world. You and I talked about that a lot on our, uh, or not you and I did, but you and I talked with people who discussed that on our what choice live stream. Um, but yeah, Jen or so is a character that I've uh, really grown, uh, grown fond of it's it's been an interesting journey for me with her
1: character um because i do think that there is importance obviously to what she ends up symbolizing um i think that the struggle for me and this is you know still something that i struggle with um with this film is i i i don't know anything about the time between you know, her being taken from her parents or not being taken from her parents, rather her parents being taken from her and kind of where she ends up. That to me feels like, okay, we're jumping into this thing where, at at what point do we say, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to do something about the state that I, you know, that, that the galaxy is in because kind of what we get is, well, you know, she's just, Living her life, doing her thing, and then you know, as soon as as soon as everything kind of hits the fan, then we'll decide to do something about you know ab- about our place in in the galaxy. What's frustrating for me is is that it's Im- it's heavily implied that Saw Gerrera was the one that you know kind of looked after Jin and his constant involvement in, at least in rebellious efforts, right, would lead me to believe that she is aware of the problems and aware of the conflict, but seems incredibly, you know, incredibly content to not care about it until a certain point when it involves her father. So I struggle with that in terms of the turning point kind of hero's journey decision to make that change. But I think that overall, it's a very consistent result, um, that means a lot. Uh, I think that the strongest thing about her character is how, you know, her convictions are pitted against the rebellion, um, in the sense that, you know, when she decides enough is enough we have to do something about it. And the rebellion essentially says, yeah, we don't, we can't afford to do that. And, you know, going and doing that on her own is not just going rogue. It's not just going rogue or rebelling against the rebellion. You know, it's making that tough decision and the rebellion follows suit. That's one of the things that I love about the third act of rogue one is that they make that decision. And the rebellion says, well, well, we are not going to, we're not going to allow, you know, we're not going to allow them to fight this fight alone. You know, we're, we're getting out there as soon as we can. We're joining. Right. And it's that sort of, we, we talked about it not too long ago with Obi-Wan where um, when Obi-Wan has to go rescue Leia and the rest of the, uh, the people in the path um, wait for them and they risk their, their safety To make sure that one person is safe they you know don't they initially don't want to make that choice but as soon as they see that the choice has to be made by somebody that's strong enough to do it they follow suit it's one of those things that starts to pull together a unified full version of the rebellion that we see and the fact that i can say yes tracking this point this point this point Jin is the one that sets that in motion being able to look at that and say that, I think, is a strong point in favor of her her character.
0: Yeah, I I um I definitely understand what you're saying there. As far as like when she decides to fight, for me, it's 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 been pretty clear, uh, been made more clear to me in the, in the film that we see her come from this place of survival. Um, Obviously, we don't get to see her with with Saw Gerrera a lot. You'd really have to read Rebel Rising uh, as well as uh, reading Catalyst as well to explore kind of what's going on with her character. I know that that's something that a lot of people are uh, kind of initially frustrated with this movie is people are like, oh man, you got to read these books and people are like, well, I shouldn't have to do homework to enjoy this movie. <laughs> well, I Which shouldn't I st- have to
1: learn how to read, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I still don't think it's necessarily a requirement for the movie. However, I assume it would be appreciated. I haven't read the book. Uh, my own catalyst, it's one of the many Star Wars books that I need to eventually crack on open, but um, I still think it's made pretty clear in the movie that she goes from this place of apathy and goes from this place of, look, I'm just here to survive. Survive. I don't really have any, any sort of kind of dog in this fight here. And I think that that's a result of her believing that this empire, this thing I'm supposed to be going up against, I think she sees her dad in that. And sees that my dad abandoned me to join this cause, and I'm not going to spend this much effort to take my dad down because he didn't even have give me enough kind of attention to to care about my well being, and he just left and focused on his work. I think she has this real sense of apathy um, r- related to the imp- uh, related to the empire, specifically because of her dad. And there's a lot of lines that contribute to that, to where um, casting's talking to her about kind of the importance of of, re- of rebellion and she says like well it's not so bad if you don't look up you know she has the luxury of kind of keeping her head down and just making her way throughout the galaxy uh without things really truly impacting her which i do think is very funny for her to say that considering she literally starts the movie in prison so (laughs) (laughs) um so it impacts you to some degree jen i don't know about that one but I think it's interesting that she does decide officially to join this cause after she gets that hologram from her father, which I still maintain is like one of the most emotional scenes, uh, especially in this Disney era of Star Wars. It's still I still get emotional uh, watching it again and again. And I, I think it's really terrific. But before she sees this message, she talks to Saw and she's like, look, I brought them here to you. I'm out of here. You know, like I fulfilled my job. And once she sees this message, she it becomes mostly about her father. And then, you know, even further after that, once they take her father away from her, I think it becomes very personal for her. And she has like a real dog in this fight. Uh, And also understanding that the pain that has been caused to her is now being uh, or has continually been uh, inflicted on the entire galaxy. Uh, And Cassian is certainly um, a part of that as well. So I think Jen uh, really um, has this great sense to the character of, uh, in a lot of us, this idea of just because bad things are happening in the world, I don't have to get involved because it doesn't affect me. Um I think the turn that she makes is like it doesn't but it will. Um, I had put on my letterbox review um after I saw uh, this in IMAX that I think that this movie has a lot of similarities with Phantom Menace thematically. Um, and I think Obi-Wan would have some some wise words to her, you know, some, <laughs> yeah. some Gungan wisdom of this kind of idea of like a symbiotic circle and that, um, you know, what affects one affects the other and that, you know, what affects your neighbor will eventually affect you, too. Uh, and so, yeah, I think Jen is a real embodiment of that, as well as going on her own journey and her own, you know, personal ties to the Empire and what happens when this evil that has been affecting others for so long eventually comes knocking at your door. Yeah, that's something that, you know,
1: you would get a lot in Star Wars is, you know, we get characters that do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, Han especially comes to mind in A New Hope, where his choice to come back and help the Rebellion is not, you know, in service of himself um, in any way. He's not going to get paid extra for it. He, you know, he might He he might die doing it. He's risking his life. But that, you know, making that choice because it's the right thing to do is that thing that stands out. For Jin, it's an interesting place because she's making the choice because it's become personal and that vendetta is dropped, I think, a little bit um, to where maybe she's, you know, maybe she's known that there are things that she could do, but, you know, hasn't felt the need to stand up to the empire because it doesn't pertain to her. But as soon as it does that, you see that shift right away and, you know, Hey, maybe that'll be a little bit of a, you know, a more fleshed out way for me to rewatch this eventually again. Um, so knows?
0: Yeah. I think Jen is a character that, um, initially, you know, is, is not maybe on the first go around as compelling or as strong as, as some other Star Wars characters but I think one that you know whether you're just watching the movie again or reading some of the books and comics I think that there is uh, definitely uh, more there than what kind of appears on the surface and so yeah I think Felicity Jones and what she brings to this character um, I, I think she's more than just another British brunette lady in Star Wars you know I think I think Jen is a a really interesting character and I would love to um, spend more time with her yeah guys I got to get reading to some of those books for sure because I want to spend more time with Jen. Uh, But after uh, Jen, Erso, you and I should talk about Cassian Andor, who is kind of the reason that we're doing this whole episode here because he's getting his own Disney Plus series uh, in just a few short weeks now. Uh, But Cassian, Diego Luna, kind of where do you stand on his performance and his character now?
1: Um, I think he has a really, uh, I think his performance is compelling um, in the sense that I know exactly what he's about um, sort of from the minute that, that we get to spend time with him. Um, I just, again, I am, and I don't think this is a bad thing, but I'm so interested in where this character is going to kind of pop up in terms of either, you know, fighting, not, not necessarily fighting the empire, but going up against the empire uh, or being of service to the rebellion because, even what we see in Rogue One is he's not completely, you know, he's not completely a pacifist in this, right? Um, he has his own convictions uh, when it comes to the Rebellion, and he also has his own kind of duties and responsibilities, um, you know, being assigned to kill Galen uh, because that's going to be, you know, they the Rebellion believes that that's what's going to be best for you know, fighting the Empire is starting to take out these upper management guys. Um, And who do they go to? They go to Cassian. You know, the truth is that I'm sure there's any number of bounty hunters or other, you know, operatives that they could use or whatever, but Cassian is not only a part of this team that we end up spending time with, but he's also the guy that they go to for that kind of thing. Right. It's not just to, it's not just to make the waters a little bit muddy and, and crowd the storyline. It's, that's his role. And I think that for the most part, and Diego Luna's uh, performance, especially is what kind of sells that, that, you know, that this is his character and you don't really get it twisted until, you know, until he's about to make that choice and is interrupted and then you know doesn't really get the chance to fulfill that that mission and ends up you know seeing how much this is impacting the other people around him you know
0: yeah i think uh cassian really is this embodiment of what is the what does it mean to be a rebel in and to fight against injustice in a world that kind of actively is a, is forcing you to have to make those tough calls and to have to do the difficult things. I think he really is this character who begins the film in this real dark place of to where he's willing to kind of do anything, not only, you know, to benefit, the rebellion but also himself to a degree um that initial kill that he has in the movie is to protect his own an- uh, anonymity and also the anonymity of the rebellion and also just kind of his own well-being you know uh that person would have slowed him down but he, you know he kind of just has to he does what he has to do it doesn't seem like he's really happy about it he's not reveling in it you know he's not an evil character um but it is the sense of when and where you choose to act and how you choose to act. Yeah, it's great to, you know, uh, rise against the the powers that be and to to rage against the machine, as it were, you know. Um, but, But it's the sense of where does your soul fall in that? And when you have to make these difficult calls, um, Are you going to sacrifice that your that sense of your own moral compass and are you going to continue to do these terrible things that may kind of not really distinguish you from those very evils that you are that you are going up against. So, yeah, I think that. You know, Cassian is is a character that uh, has only been made more and more interesting the more that I learned about him. This fact that he is uh, coming from a, a lineage of separatists, I'm very excited to explore more um, in in Andor. So uh, I won't belabor on that here too much because it's mostly just kind of hypothesizing. I think that's going to be a very important um, uh, note in his especially early development as uh, as a little rebel. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, Diego Luna does a really terrific job in this role and I think that he's maybe not like quite as meaty as some other Star Wars characters to where you kind of have to project a little bit onto him and he does have that sense of mystery to him of your kind of like what have you been up to the past however many years and what have you seen? What have you done? And I think it's precisely because of that, that we are getting this Disney plus series where we're having that opportunity to dive into this character. And honestly, I'm I'm really excited to, uh, to learn more about Cassian.
1: I am as well. I think that there wouldn't be a reason to see this character, uh, see more of this character. Uh, if there wasn't a story to tell that says, yeah, but you don't know, all of him yeah but you don't know the full story right? right and i think that that is i think that that's going to play really well because kind of like you said you know how how close are you really to to what the bad guys are doing i am really curious to see kind of the the rebellion in its forming days where you have operatives that are willing to you know to stoop to that level or to to get their hands dirty or whatever because yeah yeah, the rebellion has to start somewhere and they can't just be pacifists the whole time right so you know i'm i'm very interested in that because that tells me that cassian is maybe somebody who's been there i mean he says he's he's been in this fight his whole life but at least somebody that's maybe gotten his hands dirty before even being connected to the rebellion and how does that change him along the course of the show is he going to get a little bit more a little bit more pointed north on his moral compass or what is that going to look
0: like? I'm so, so, so interested. Yeah, especially to consider where he begins this movie with. I'm wondering how the show is going to lead him to that initial point because he starts at kind of a low point. So for the show, the TV show to ostensibly... I would think end at a low point is is definitely going to <laughs> be a start lower. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting. So very excited to uh, be exploring that, but uh, Noah beyond the characters and kind of wrapping up our conversation here, just as far as like, you know, uh big picture moments, uh, maybe let's start off with uh, moments of action. Uh, are there any favorite moments of action beats or kind of uh, exciting thrills that just stand out to you and that you get excited to see when you rewatch this movie?
1: Um, I, I really do like the, uh, I really do like the, the fight sequence, uh, on Jetta. I think that it's really, I think it's really tight. It's really well shot. Um, and you know, kind of the, the production there is, it feels really Star Wars while still having kind of a, a fresher again, you know, not to, not to really lean too heavily into it, but it kind of has the, the Jason Bourne-esque, you know, close quarters, civilians affected kind of feel to it. Um, I think that that works really well and it always kind of jumpstarts the, uh, the energy that, that the rest of the movie kind of carries. Um, aside from that, I am really, really, really enamored with the design of Edu as a planet. Um, wish there was more time spent there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that, I think that a lot of the, the action is obviously this is nothing, new to anybody but it is really well stated and uh, you know and has a lot of high points uh that shows like hey man this is star wars in the modern era this is what it's this is what it can look like and i think you know nine out of ten times it looks great
0: yeah i think the the technological achievements of this movie can't really be um understated this film looks just absolutely terrific as far as moments of uh Action that really stand out to me, you know, when Admiral Raddus and the Rebel Alliance first make their way into the Battle of Scarif and he says, you know. It's says Admiral Radwitz, the Rebel Alliance. It's just, it, it's a, such a great fist pumping moment. Um, I already talked about the the Hammerhead uh, blasting its way into the Golly, the Star Destroyer is just really terrific. Just a lot of the X Wing stuff in general is just, I think, still even with the sequel trilogy movies, some of the best dog fighting in Star Wars. I'm excited to see that maybe even surpassed in Rogue Squadron because I think it looks absolutely terrific here. Um, yeah, I think uh the Death Trooper design, even though. On a moment of action. I think the Death Trooper design and sound design is really terrific. This movie also has my favorite Stormtrooper look, which is the Shore Trooper. Uh, big, big fan of that. Uh, the Scarif Trooper and all that stuff. It looks absolutely terrific. Uh, big fan um, of all of that there. Um, lastly, Noah, before we uh, end up closing up here, do you have any favorite uh, moments of humor in the movie? This film is uh, obviously a darker Star Wars film, but not without its uh, moments of levity. Do you uh, like any moments in particular?
1: Um, I think my favorite overall is when K2SO bonks that guy on the head. Um, yeah. I, it's just like, what else are you going to do? Why not? You yeah. know, if, if if I was that tall and was like trying to take somebody out, I would just, oh man, I just hammer fist him right on the dome. Like Yeah, probably crushed 10, his head. 10, 10 out of 10 dead. times,
0: I'm going to bonk you on the head. Like, it's just so good. It's so good. Yeah, some of the moments of humor in this are not even necessarily like straight comedy bits, uh, but there's uh, the, the Orson Krennic of, uh, what are we, blind? <laughs> Deploy the garrison! Never, uh, I, every time I watch this, I always smile. That's really great. Probably my favorite bit, though, that makes me laugh the most, is when Jin is pleading to the rebel council to to come to Scarif to, oh my God. Uh, to help. And you hear that one jabroni in the back who says... What is she proposing? It's, it's <laughs> legitimately one of the funniest Star Wars deliveries ever. It's just, it's got big SpongeBob energy. I can't explain it, but it really yeah, does. No, it, it, it's, it really it's does. Excellent. <laughs>
1: uh, I remember watching like last, the, like on my rewatch, I paused it after that and I went, Garrett loves that
0: line. I was telling Rachel, I was like, Garrett loves that line. <laughs> it's the best. It's so funny. Um, Yeah, I could listen. That, that should be like my new text tone. I, every time I yes, absolutely. What is she proposing? Okay. <laughs> uh, Yeah, that about does it here over our conversation on Rogue One. Or we're getting to the point where we're about to surpass the length of the movie itself. Uh, but any final thoughts, any uh, big picture ideas that uh, you want to close our episode out with here today?
1: Well, this is the last thing I have to say. Uh if it was if it was a choice between this or watching Rogue One again, uh I think I would still I think I would still do this because like uh, the conversation between you and I? <laughs> yes, yeah. If it was a choice between having this conversation or ro- watching Rogue One again, I think I would rather have this conversation because there are things that I will continue to learn to appreciate about Rogue One um with every rewatch and with every conversation. So, that's my final thoughts.
0: Yeah, I think that the kind of the legacy of this movie, it being kind of the least offensive Star Wars film, um, I think is a little bit to its detriment. Um, I don't think it quite offers enough or swings hard enough to really be that challenging or to be that difficult, as opposed to some other Star Wars projects that I do really feel take a much more of a significant swing. Um, I think the, the pacing of the movie is consistent. However, I think the way some of the scenes are kind of we haven't really talked about it much but the way that some of the like initially the first like two thirds of this movie are a very similar setup and kind of payoff as far as heroes are in a dangerous situation there they you know get to where they need to be and then they have to leave because everything's exploding around them like that's kind of you know what most of this movie is until the battle of scarif so some of the structure of stuff doesn't super super work for me even though it is exciting um i think the tone of the film is an interesting one in star wars not necessarily my preferred tone of star wars i prefer a little bit more, uh, uh, fantasy kind of wonderment to be happening here. Um, but I do appreciate the, the many different colors that are in the star Wars palette. Um, yeah, not all the characters work for me, but are definitely not getting worse and worse. This is not a film that I watch and I just go, Oh, and another thing that I hate. Um, no, this is a film that I've really grown to appreciate and enjoy. Um, I've seen it in the theaters, uh, probably the most out of any star Wars movie, which is crazy. Not because that's, necessarily but my choice but because it's the one that they put out in the theaters more often um, you can literally go see it right now I believe uh, but this is one that hey if they put it back in theaters again next year I'll probably still go see it because uh, seeing Star Wars on the big screen is uh, never a bad time for me and uh, this one certainly does give a lot of spectacle and bang for its buck um, and does leave the door open to uh, really you know being interested in exploring some of these uh, other characters that we find here and uh, yeah if it wasn't for this film um, you know we wouldn't have the opportunity to spend more time with Cassian and to see Andor and that is a show that I didn't initially have that you know hotly anticipated you know wasn't that high on my list but the more that we see it and the more that we learn about it and the the more that I grow to appreciate this movie as well uh, the more and more that Andor just becomes more and more appealing I think it's uh, we're in for a real treat there
1: yeah, the more that I hear Diego Luna talk about how he thought that R2-D2 is called Little Arthur, the more <laughs> I want to see this show. Do you see that? Tell me you I saw did not that. see that. That's oh my terrific. God. Go on Star um, Wars' Instagram. It's Adorable. So, it, it's so great. Because uh, of
0: like the translation and everything? Yes, exactly. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. Diego Luna is uh, terrific. Uh, and I can't wait to spend more time with him. Cassian, Mon Mothma, and the rest of the gang. And hey, maybe the uh, what is she proposing will be in the Imperial Senate <laughs> with <laughs> with Mon Mothma. Maybe that uh, Star Wars heckler will find his way uh, into our living rooms uh, come, I believe, September 28th. It's just a few short weeks away. It sure is. Yeah, one can hope that he'll show up absolutely so uh, any final thoughts or is that about gonna do it and you're gonna close us out i think we should just close this
1: this one out thank you guys so much for tuning in with us we hope you learned something today if there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover you can head over to our twitter and shoot us a message at scum villain pod but for now this has been scum and villainy with noah de george and gary mattel and may the force be with you
0: we'll see you next time see you guys